Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome Why, to... hello, Mark. Hello, Mark B. He started hello. early and we we're still sleeping, so. That's right. Let's see, episode 308 this time. Let's see, who we got with us today? You know what? I have a thing over here that uh, pushes <laughs> that, and I always forget to put this one up. Uh, let's see. And in his usual spot, the upper left-hand corner, Marco. Hey there. Glad to be here. I don't know why I'm always up here. <laughs> I don't know. Next up, we got Sloopy. And L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. And then yours truly. Next row, Ken Waters. Good morning, everybody. And Rick Uland. Howdy, folks. Preparing to fest. Uh-huh. Uh, Welcome to Coco Nation from Ron's Garage, literally. Oh, you get thrown in the garage again? Yep. What misbehaving did you do this time? I lit Don't a fire. The dry heat. A, a little fire. <laughs> <laughs> a little fire, huh? <laughs> oh, are you right. trying to solder like I do or something? Or? Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, we got Brian Weasler. Ooh, hold on here. There we go. Hello, all. Little uh, operational error there. No, it's okay. okay. We heard you the first time. <laughs> okay. And next up, Jason. Hello, hello. I have my diet, Dr. Pepper, and what? Cocoa Fest is just a few weeks away. Two weeks away. Ooh. Weeks Ooh, away. count them too, both of them. Ooh. All right, uh, David Ladd. Why, hello, everybody. Are you excited for today's show? I am. Are you also ready for Coco Fest? Oh, I'm not even completely ready yet, but I'm still excited to be there. I got so much to do. Just as usual, drunken Dr. Pepper. Uh, last but not least, Nick Marentes. Uh, good day, everyone. Uh, I think I've just lost all my enthusiasm after that last one. <laughs> <laughs> How can you follow and act like that? He sucks it right out of the room, doesn't he? <laughs> oh, come now. Everybody's got to be excited. We're ta- we're having a, a nice gathering talking about our favorite computers. You're the only one with a grease weasel. And I know how to use it. Oh, God. Good night, everybody. We're oversharing again, folks. <laughs> We're talking about well, the- let's see. 
today. Brian, come rescue us. <laughs> rescue. Uh, bring in the bring in the truck. Bring in the truck there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Actually, I was just putting one one thing out real quick there. Ooh, I'm kind of coming in dark here. So, okay, you guys ready for me? Yep, we're ready for yep. you. Okay. Um, let's see here. Is that going to print out for me or not? I was going to share some information about what I was going to show here. Um, a little ill-prepared. Let me just reach real quick and we'll get started here. There we are. Oh. He has to go back to warehouse number four. There you go. Yep. Well, I was rolling in about five minutes before the show. So um, on Facebook, you guys probably see a lot of posts from uh, Steve uh, uh, Batson. Um, recently, he's been uh, posting some stuff about his Cocoa 3 that he got. Um, and uh, uh, getting it going and everything. And one of the things that he had posted about, um, I reached out to him and him and I were chatting about it. And uh, he ended up going a different route with an upgrade. And he sold me what was in his uh, Cocoa that he had, his Cocoa 3. Let me switch cameras here and we'll uh, we'll talk about it. There we are. Came with a bag? piece of plastic. A piece static, of uh, static wow, bag. plastic Amazing. there. Yes, yes, wow. I know. Ooh. I think he got ripped off. That's where he hides his used <laughs> chewing gum. <laughs> it looks lumpy. I don't know if I'd trust that. So let's see here. Let's take a look inside here. We should take that off your hands. Just send it to me. Just send it there? Yeah. Five to so, a RAM board. A five to uh, a RAM oh, board look there. At that. Oh, that's oh, uh, what brand is that with the SIPs? Uh, performance peripherals? Nope. No. Let me get it the right uh, way. Hemphill? Hemphill Electronics, maybe? Let me see Jay if I can. Hemphill had the weird I'm thing. Johnson. Focus, focus. No, DP Johnson, yeah. There you go. Yep, yep. And uh, so it was kind of interesting is the, is the chips on it. You, you can see here they stand up on this edge here. Yeah, sip. Yeah. And uh, on the back here, you can see here is, it's, a, it's the plus 100. Ah, oh, Hemphill. I was right. Yep. Hemphill Electronics. Sorry, I'm trying to keep my hands off the desk here. The camera I have is kind of a heavy camera, and it's on an arm and just the slightest little bump there, and I get this thing kind of... So hopefully I'm not making anybody seasick here, but... Uh, Whoa, no, thought, no, just I, kidding. Today's show was, is presented in wiggle vision. <laughs> <laughs> that I, thought is was, I thought it was really cool. A division was one of shaky I, cam. This was one that I didn't have before, and... Uh, uh, looking in the uh, in the archives there, there's really not a whole lot. I mean, there is an ad for it here. Uh, a company uh, called Dismaster Hard Disk Systems uh, had an ad for it, um, and they had. There, there was a few ads because the the Dismaster one had the high density floppy control. I know it's one that you know David always wets his pants about, but um, they also had a hard drive. I think hey. I remember. Yes. But, yep. Yeah. They, yeah. They had a. a, a but I remember I saw these at Rainbow Fest a few times, and actually they were supposed to run cooler because of the way the packaging is away from the board, so it wouldn't keep absorbing the heat around the socket. Right, well, both sense. sides can breathe. Yeah. Where's that yeah, company that, come from? Uh, Walt Hill, California. Hmm. These are the that uh, the uh, the Memphis Electronics there. Uh, it's a five twelve cave uh, memory upgrade. Let's see here. What does they have any specs here about it? Or they just talk about the? I was just kind of looking at single. Oh, that's that's the hard disk controller. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I guess they don't really have a lot of specs on it. That's what I was printing out here to see if it uh, had some information I could share with you about it. But uh, no, it was, it's a really nice, clean board. They did the uh, same thing Tandy did, though. They, they wave soldered it all the same way and left the chips on the bottom. Okay. Hold the heat in for improved uh, warming. Mm -hmm. Improved warming. <laughs> <laughs> I 
That's for those Canadian winters up here. That's why we all got those upgrades. No, I'm just kidding. There we go. So I don't know if anybody else wants to see anything about it, though, but I thought that was kind of a... Well, I haven't seen one before, so it's yeah, kind of Yeah, I, I mean, the SIPs, they were used on a couple other computers, too, but it seemed to be a fad. Like, it came and went in a, a couple of years. I don't know if you hardware guys have a, a reasoning for that. I, I don't know. Are they was faster it, than other chips? You could push that. these harder. So if it was a 150, you could push it to 120, and it wouldn't blow up in a flame of smoke. But RAM got better. Now, did they actually run cooler because of that? I mean, that was the claim. I didn't well, have anybody with. I don't know if they ran cooler. If every manufacturer just used the opportunity to push them little RAM chips as hard as they could, so they ran the same because they were pushing them harder. Generally, yeah. the form factor. If you have really small constraints, you know they're they don't they're not as wide as your standard dips. So yeah, less real estate. Yeah, yeah they, that's true. They generally do run a little bit cooler because there's more air around them. I've used a bunch of them on Amigas, and I have about uh, five megs of them if you need any. Cool. <laughs> and you can put them into uh, this into the standard sockets. You just have to move the legs out in order to fit them. Yeah, I remember <laughs> seeing these at the Fest. Uh, I already had a 512K upgrade from Disto at that point, so I didn't need one, but I saw quite a few people snapping them up at the time. I wonder if these would have been better, like when Disto brought out the original one and two make upgrades where you had to like stack two 512K boards on top of each other. Basically, like those ran hot. We had to put fans in ours at work because they it would crash continuously. I wonder if having this design stacked would have been better. Maybe we wouldn't have needed a fan. Look at the length of those header pins, though, to get it high enough to clear. Yeah, you'd probably board. need the case right off, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah. Stacking them would not be easy. Now, did you get the matching Disk Master drive system? Is my question. No, <laughs> no mention of that. That would have because been... that's rare. That thing was expensive. Oh, okay, but it had a hard drive and a high density floppy with a high density controller and a hard drive controller. Camera was SCSI or SASE. Uh, let's see. Here. It says twenty megabyte uh, SCSI hard disk. SCSI, okay. Um, it had a clock calendar, three serial ports, bi-directional parallel port. It was kind of um, like the Eliminator, except much bigger. Clock <laughs> calendar. And yeah, clock chip with a calendar. Yeah. And then an expansion port for additional floppy drives, uh, single interface for your Coco 3. Yeah, it was uh, a competitor to the Eliminator, software. except it was way more expensive. All interface software for OS 9 Level 2 included for the introductory price of $1,295. Yep, Ooh. that's what I remember. And that's why they're rare. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was like gimmicks prices. But it was pretty well worth it. I mean, the Eliminator was just the card. You put your own drives together and your own hard drives, and it had a clock and right uh, serial ports and parallel ports on it, too. So it was a lot cheaper. That's the route we took for work. Um, but either would have been a good choice. Yeah, it even had a uh, optional uh, RAM disk up to uh, 1.5 uh, megabytes. Yeah, right inside the, the card itself. That was one thing the Eliminator did not have. Did they have a battery backup for it too? So it would remember between power cycles? Uh, I don't think it did, but I don't remember for sure. Yeah, I, don't read I even fiddled with it at the, one of the Rainbow Fests. I remember that. 87 so, yeah. or 88. So yeah, um, receiving this from him, I kind of thought, well, maybe I'll pull out some of the other uh, memory upgrades that I have. Some of them are going to be very familiar to folks. Uh, maybe some not so familiar. So this is one that Curtis mentioned a little bit ago. So this is the Disto. 
that was available. I thought I'd show some other ones here. That's just a straight distal 512, not one of the one or one megs, I presume. Right. Yep. Yeah. So this one here was kind of neat. It had uh, it had these little rubber uh, little tubes over the. I don't know if it's focusing in or not. Over yep. the uh, over one of the pins there, so that way uh, limits the it, it, it limits there, so it, it would uh, it would stand off there a little bit. Right, it wouldn't go all the way down and hit the back shield. Right, yeah. and use the had those plastic clips that nobody has. And, <laughs> and you'll notice a better solution. You'll notice here they're using 120 now second chips because there was some issues on some cocos with the 150s. Yeah, 143 is less than 150. Imagine that. So that was nice. It's and 143 I 43 mathematically. So 150 isn't quite that. Yeah. What I thought was kind of nice, though, is that this one here, I, don't, I won't zoom out, though, but uh, also had the instructions there telling you what screws to uh, to take out and everything and which capacitors to clip and everything to uh, to get it installed. So pictures for some, words for others. So, yeah. Um, another one I wanted to show. Slide that one off to the side. Let's see here. Is this the one? Yeah. This one's kind of neat. Uh, this one here was uh, also made by Disto, but it used, uh, oh, shoot, I'm drawing a blank on the on the name of the chips here. The type. Sims? I buy, yeah, SIM chips. Yeah, the 30-pin SIMs. Yeah. Now, is that their 512 or is that their 2-meg one? This one, I believe, is the uh, the 2-meg board because these were 1-megs that I bought. 2-meg. Yep. Yeah, it yeah, says two meg right on the board yep, there. Yep, yeah, these are the there. Yeah, that's what JP one hundred three is all about. That goes off to the DAT board. Yep. <laughs> Excuse me. Let me back out just a little bit here. I love that thing. I ran it into the ground. Yeah, we bought the one meg only a couple months before this came out, and it was like, ah, we can't get the budget to get another one, so we just stuck with one meg. But this would have ran so much cooler. And yeah, and I would have loved. Oh, sorry. Oh, and here's the DAT board that goes with it that you would uh, re. Yeah, uh, CPU goes there. Yep. I had this in Texas and Dallas with no air conditioning, so it ran on hundred degree days just fine. <laughs> so I thought this one was kind of a kind of a neat one. There, I wasn't sure how many people have seen this one before. I've seen them, but we did like I never never owned one. I didn't know anybody here that had one. We had a couple people with the one megs because as soon as the one meg came out, a bunch of us just latched onto it, and then the two meg was a bit more diminishing returns at the time. But yeah, it would have ran so much better. Because we everybody had to put a fan in for the one meg because it was thirty two RAM chips <laughs> all stacked Ooh. on top of each other running oh. hot. <laughs> yeah, well, those the, those were great. <clears throat> Couple people here in Omaha had those, and plus our BBS had one in it too. So, which makes it nice for. for yeah, if you ribs. want a one and a half meg RAM drive, here's your board. Yeah, there you go. And then, uh, the and of course, now you can get them from Cloud9. You'll be getting them from Mark soon. I don't know if you got an update on that, Mark. And then uh, I think Frank's looking into doing one of these, too. And I think, does uh, Jim still sell a 2 board? Sloopy, do you know? Uh, no, just a 512. Okay. And then uh, the other one I wanted to show you. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. sorry. No. Was there RAM disk software to run on those... Uh... Oh, well, on any two meg board, I guess. Yes, under OS yeah. 9, there was. But I mean, is there anything under RS DOS that you could run to have a, a RAM disk if you have a two meg board? Did the JNR have the software for it? 
I can't remember. I do know there were some people that did RAM drives and print spoolers. There was a couple of things like Big Bakes or Super Big Basic, whatever it was by Danosoft, supported one meg and above. The uh, studio, what was it called? Studio Works? Uh, There's a uh, sound digitizer hardware card that actually supported one to make to capture sound samples from uh, Oblique Tri, the same guys who did the Seventh Link game. So there's a, there's a few that did support. I think Word Power 3.3 might have supported it too eventually. Can't remember. The problem was your your regular floppy drives that most people had only could hold you know thirty five track single sided or at best forty track double sided. So if you if you on one and a half meg of RAM discs, you'd have to like back it up even if you had double sided drives onto like six discs or something like that. So it was a pain. <laughs> if you were using the RAM disc, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, the RAM disc wouldn't erase even if you hit reset. I assume yeah, that's true. Yeah. So you could just reset and run. But if the, you had to um, cycle the power because you had a bad crash, then you'd yeah, that. that would lose. Yeah. It. But even if you had a normal crash, if you could just do a control out and delete, yep, run. Yeah, because basically uh, wouldn't touch that upper one and a half meg. So yeah, that's right. So okay, and then one other one, and we kind of spoke about it just a little bit ago. Um, here's the uh, the one meg uh, from uh, part of it. <laughs> yep. And then here's the other here's the other part of the board there. I have one of those. Okay. Yeah, what's kind of cool about what's kind of cool about this one is how the uh the the DAT board connects. You can yeah. see here it has I'd... this uh it has this row of uh pin connector here. Yeah, and you have the two things where the two pins uh, the two rows of pins come down in parallel, then they stretch out, yeah, like that. Yep. And go into the actual CPU socket. So yeah, you put your CPU socket on, or you put your. I think what this is designed is you're supposed to solder this onto the legs of the. I'm not sure if this goes into the socket because there's no place to put the CPU on here. Right, you have to solder that on. So yeah, this would go piggyback to your CPU, and then, and then that board plugs on top of it. Yeah, I, like I remember the, this well. <laughs> yeah, something like this here. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I built a little sideboard to, uh, so I wouldn't have to solder direct to the. CPU. Let me. Oh, oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Uh, I believe I should be able to put my hands on it pretty. Now, quick. do you have both of the RAM boards there, uh, Brian, or just one half? Like that's uh, the DAT board you were just holding. So this is yeah, the this RAM. is the DAT. Yeah, this is the DAT board, and then this here is the. Uh, I only have one of the boards, but uh, I, I think what Curtis is talking about here is there's these other row of connectors here, so you could piggyback. You piggyback another, another one. Yeah, that's how you got the one. Meg. That's, that's why it ran so darn hot. You could. Yep. You have to. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Had to piggyback another RAM board on top. I think uh, Mark's digging for something there. Which Mark? Mark B. He he was saying that he has one of these, and he uh, he was saying that for for this connector here, he made a uh, a board oh, like a sidestep board instead of a right. So solder yeah, you, everything you together. Could, you could plug this into a socket and then put the CPU back into that, and then this would be off to the side, so you weren't having to solder this onto your CPU. I would have done that. Look at all the height that you lose with that yep. thing, or gain, I should say. But we had to cut a hole in the top of our case there just so that the fan would fit right over top the RAM. I remember that. Oh, wow. Where did, where did all your uh, hardware go? Like this one as an example. Um, when Glenn Vandebigler was still around, uh, mm-hmm. when, when Mercury, the company I worked for, they had the Cocoa, shut down the Cocoa stuff. 
Uh, he was selling stuff. He had both an Amiga store and a cocoa store at the time okay. in Edmonton. So I drove down to visit him and I took a whole bunch of stuff down that I didn't need personally. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, I already had the Nocan 3 board with 8 megs. So what do I need two for? Right. One. And uh, unfortunately, he passed away from a sudden heart attack literally within weeks. So I don't know what happened to it after that. Oh, wow. Okay. He had sold some of it by then, but I think there was still some left. Um. Well, while Mark's looking for that, I do have one more quick thing I can share. Let me uh, get this out of the way. I just thought these were kind of interesting. I I need to go back and look at my notes. Somebody sent me these, asked me if I wanted them. And, and you uh, didn't refuse? <laughs> oh, it, oh, it came from a, a Fran Purcell or Purcell, P-U-R-C-E-L-L, Purcell. Um, I was right. I had the card in here. It was between the two. So he had a couple of these boards here. And uh, these are the uh, um, PB, uh, uh, PBJ uh, memory boards. And these are just, uh, I don't know if these were just uh, old new stock boards with unpopulated uh, chips on them. Yeah, I think a few of them actually during the RAM crisis, when RAM prices shot up after that problem in Japan, <clears throat> there was a few selling just the boards where you'd put your own socket and stuff kind of as a kit because then you could try to get RAM that you already had or any place you could find it for cheap because at that point, you know, that was when Burke and Burke brought the 256 quarter meg board out because the prices were so high to get 512K. It was, you know, twice the cost that it had been previously. It literally doubled almost overnight. So this was... Uh, Another option was to get the kit one. So if you pulled them out of an old PC or something, you just throw them on. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a kind of neat. I just had that set in there, but uh, yeah, person could get the chips and the and the uh, the right capacitors on there, and a couple of uh, pin connectors there, and uh, you could put that in there. Nineteen eighty six. So okay, that that's all I had to show. I just wanted to after seeing getting this one memory upgrade from. Uh, from Steve, I would just thought, well, I'll dig out some of the other memory upgrades that I have. I, I do have a couple Tandy ones and uh, um, that everybody's seen before. And then, I, of course, I have the modern versions of ones like the Cloud 9 and the uh, Boys in Tech uh, memory. I have those as well. But uh, Yeah, I think the only one, the major one you're missing right now is probably the Nokian 3 that Paul Barton used to make. Okay. That's a rare one, though. Mm-hmm. Robert Galt had one. I had one. Obviously, Paul had some. I, I guess Ron probably has it now. Um, okay, but that also had serial ports and parallel port and turbo mode, and right. <laughs> well, if there's anything else anybody wants to see about any of these, uh, I'm I'm done showing here. I just thought I'd share some of this uh, memory with you guys. Dumb memory lane, pardon the pun. Anyway. Yeah, well, I, I'd be interested in you doing a memory test on that, like a thorough one, and just seeing if that type of a chip lasts as long as the other RAMs do. Okay. Yeah, th- doesn't there a um, didn't somebody, I'm trying to think, uh, did a modern version for the Coco 3 there that you can cycle through to... Yeah, it actually does up to 2 meg. Um, uh, what the heck's the guy's name? Yeah. Because it has a graphic that. interface of the Coco 3 to go through it. Does the uh, uh, Retro Rewind, their diagnostic cartridge, does that have that integrated into there? Or is that just a... Um, of the I don't know if one. it does... Two, I, I'm pretty sure it does 512. Okay, it might even do two meg. I'm not sure. I know he's got an update to it coming out. Okay, wonder if you'll have those at the fest. Yes. Okay. Cool. Because one okay. thing he was adding was to detect if you had a six through nine or six eight oh nine. I know that he's adding that. Okay, that'd be cool. Okay. 
Well, that's all I have to show. Did uh, Mark, did you make it back? <laughs> Mark's gone. <laughs> he must have uh, went into the closet and maybe the stuff fell on him or something. I don't know. Back up another truck. <laughs> okay, sir. So you'll you'll have to show us something else to keep this yeah. going. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Keep, yeah. Sure. Keep going here. Um, well, I do got one thing I can unbox that might not be uh, so interesting, though, but I could unbox something here that came in the mail. We could uh, do a little reveal. Yeah, do a little, let me do a little backup here. Nothing, nothing, nothing to uh, get too excited about, but it was something that I wanted because they were in excellent condition. Here, let me uh, do a little house cleaning here. Get this out of the way. Watch it be a set of Black Beauty joysticks. Oh, Frank <laughs> just verified his diagnostic heart does up to eight, get eight meg. Nice. Okay, sweet. MEX compatible. Cool. Let's see here. Let me do a little OSHA approved. Uh, Opening here by holding the scissors wide open. Do well, not. So why is opening the Why is opening the box here? Uh, Alan Murphy just posted the link directly to the uh, RAM test that you're talking about. Okay. Oh, that's good. There. So that's in the general chat. Okay, here we go. Let's see here. These came in. Oh, color logo. Is that the disc version? Education or the cart. Yeah, so yeah, we've got color logo, and uh, let's see here. And as, whoop, this is the Velcro, there we go. And as Curtis alluded there, uh, it has the, uh, the the guide there and the uh, the manual, color logo. And uh, let's see, I believe it had the original disc, or was this just a copy of the disc? No, nope, there's another disc in here. Here we are. Here we are. So there's the uh, the color logo for the color computer. This is the disc version of it. Yeah, one of the four versions that Tandy sold. <laughs> it's super cool. logo, color logo, color logo on disc, and then one under OS9. Um, I can't remember which one that was called. I like these uh, boxes that they came in. They're nice, these nice sturdy. So you can yeah. stand, stand them up on edge like this. They're they're kind of nice. Part of their uh, that Tandy home uh, education. Yeah, because pilot and logo were the two big languages they pushed into that home education setup. And then uh, one other thing that's uh, along the same lines there. This is also the the seller had both of these. Oh, there we go. Sorry about the the noise there. So there's this one here also. This is the the Tandy Home Education, um, the pond, the factory, and the teaser. Oh, this one's still in the original cellophane here. Otherwise, I'd open it up right now. But uh, but this is the the problem solving series. But it was again part of that uh, Tandy. That's uh, okay. home systems. We'll, we'll not even heard about that one. Yeah, the pond in the factory. I think I've actually got those on my site already, but I don't think I have teasers on there yet. And I didn't realize they were sold as a a triple thing. I thought it, they were individuals. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's got the box set. Yeah. Hey, hey Mark returns. There he is. Yeah, I'd gotten <laughs> uh, just as I was we, heading for the closet. I uh, got a call from our alarm company. Oh, okay. And I had to go deal with that. Oh, we thought maybe uh, some some stuff collapsed on you when you were buried or something like that. Someone so we broke were, into his we were, closet. We were stalling. I thought, so. I so thought I you had maybe had three cats debut. puke at once or something in three different rooms. <laughs> so I, so no, just... I did locate the uh, uh, adapter board that I made. Okay. I highlight yeah. yourself so we can see it there, Mark. I yeah. thought this was just the beginning of the new old Brian Weasler format of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's see. So it's... You can see the uh, original header and the socket, and basically just jump her straight across. 
Oh, a little barge wire set up. Well, that's a yeah. lot of wires. Yeah. But uh, that way we don't have to solder directly to the uh, CPU. Right. Um, so it's just, just a straight across jumpering. Nice. So you socketed the CPU on the motherboard, plugs in uh-huh. those two double headers. Yeah, you plug that into the motherboard and the CPU in there, and then you plug the uh, two-meg board on top. But does it work? Oh, sure. It worked for quite a while. In fact, well enough that the re- the power regulator on the uh, distro board all melted, and I had to uh, fabricate something new. Okay, so it included the fan. Yeah, there you (laughs) go. (laughs) So you can see there's a mark. Mark has the two boards there that Curtis was talking about. Right, they're stacked. Uh, Yeah. So the top one is actually a uh, uh, JRAMR. Yeah, I think you could throw anybody's RAM. Yeah, any anybody's because everybody had that same two sets of pins you had to line it up with. So any five twelve k board you could use along with the distal one. So did you put? Put any uh, leg down or anything to hold it up, because if you ever bang down the computer, wouldn't it? That's nah, pretty no. sturdy. In fact, uh, this setup raised this board up high enough to get over top of the uh, uh, RF uh, right, can. Yeah, the RF can, because otherwise, this board by itself, you had to pull the uh, can off to Ooh. fit this one on. Made it better. So this raised it up high enough to get over the can. Is it? Is that? Is that a no can board then? <laughs> that could be why Paul named it that. He probably ripped it right out of there. I don't know. <laughs> so, is there an optional mounting point for a grill on top of that so you can just use that extraneous heat for something productive? No, go. I just put the <laughs> fan salvage from something or another and had to power the whole thing from a, uh, you know, like from an XT power supply or an AT power supply. Looks and like for those of you that sandwich. attended Coco Fest through the 90s there, uh, or even the 2000s, so actually for 20 some odd years, if you want to see the biggest satellite board upgrade, even bigger than OCAN 3, I think was Mark's Superboard, which never got actually released from Cloud9 because he had, oh, he's putting Ethernet on there and sound and RAM upgrades and serial ports and parallel ports. What was that? Do you have a picture? Um. I think Alan Huffman on his site does because he took some pictures of one of the prototypes, but the prototype kept changing. It was a moving target was the main problem. Every year he'd add something new and then he'd have to gut the old design and redesign it. It just never, never got finished. Creature feep. (laughs) Feature creep is the enemy of, uh, but uh, (laughs) yeah, there was a lot of feature creep on that sucker. Perfect is the enemy of good. Good enough. I think the first announcement was like 99 or something like that. I think it was right before Penfest or something. Hmm. Has there ever been any talk about wanting to revisit that at all that you've ever heard? Mark, every once in a while, brings it up. In fact, I think the first Cocoa Fest that I went back to after I stopped going for quite a while there in 2016 or 17, I think he actually had one of the later prototypes that had Ethernet and a bunch of things in it. Bluetooth was in there, too. Okay. But but I haven't heard anything since, so I don't know. I think real life just got in the way. Right. (laughs) Yep. Now let's everybody look at Brian Weasler. Well, that's all I have to share, guys. If you have uh, anything else you want to see there, if not, we can move on to somebody else. Um, talk amongst yourselves for a minute. I had to go downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do have a question from the chat here, kind of related to some discussion in the chat. So Brian has showed off Logo being part of the education system. I know Pilot was another popular one. The Model 1, 3, and the Cocoa all had versions of Pilot. Um, how many people here actually did any programming in either of those languages? I never touched Pilot. I did do a little bit in Logo. Nope. 
I read read the manual for the pilot uh, for the Commodore sixty four. Yeah, because my understanding was I don't know too much about pilot, but pilot was more meant for the teachers than the students, yeah. right? And uh, logo I actually used for a while instead of basic. So, but yeah, uh, yeah, it was, I know the very first the first version, the cartridge version of logo for the Coco had one really good positive point, and that was the uh, the multi-turtle thing, where you can actually spawn multiple turtles and have them all running simultaneously, which most logos at the time did not have. But its variables and stuff was very limited compared to most other logos, so actually as an actual programming language, it kind of sucked. Um, when they brought up the later versions, like the OS9 logo, DL logo, I think it's Dale Lear's logo, if I remember correctly, and then Super logo was the other one. Uh, then they kind of fixed it up, so it became a rep programming language. But by that time, logo was falling out of favor, so I don't think it really, really took off. Yeah, I did. Besides, I was using Basic 9, so I didn't really need Logo. Yeah, I didn't really do much with uh, the Turtle graphics and the graphics in general. I just used it as because Basic was so difficult to access the uh, system. I just used it as a replacement for the primary "quote unquote" OS. In my and is this on your Atari eight bits or sixteen bit or what is that on? Atari eight bit, yes. Okay. Rick, did you ever fiddle with either of those? No. no. And Nick Rennies, I'm sure, is planning to write some games in that too, because he's you know so enamored with Basic Nine. What the heck? He might as well throw logo in there too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was genuine enthusiasm you heard there, folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hmm. Oh, all well, my marks okay. away. Uh, oh, I'm he's back. coming back. He's I'm back. back. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and the cat's not locked in the closet, so. <laughs> All right, let's see. Uh, did did anybody else have a project update? Sure, I got a quick thing. So this is kind of interesting. Thanks to uh, Henry Strickland, he's made the world's best um, hacker tool. It it dumps the entire Cocoa RAM out the Ethernet port over and over and over and over again. Up to two or eight meg. Well, he's just doing the the five twelve or the sixty four k visible RAM. Okay. So wh- whatever the processor is looking at is dumped out the Ethernet port, which is a fun thing. Um, we're using it for a load test, so you can see we've dumped RAM eighty seven times, and the thing hadn't crashed yet. So I'll assume this card works. But that was kind of a fun thing. I kind of liked it. Um, getting parts in for the Cocoa Fest. How much does twenty keyboard boards weigh? Almost eight pounds. <laughs> that's why we don't need the metal plate on the back to hold them together because uh, hey he pounds and then while i was digging around for the cocoa fest i found the one that got away you might have seen i got a bunch of uh, computers from my former employer old servers and workstations and so forth oh and irix irix sgi challenge wow yeah i found this tape for an sgi which was the silicon graphics 64-bit mondo someone got that one so that's the one that got away that was a hugely powerful graphic system for the time. Oh, man, all, all these turd old servers I got here, and I could have had that thing. <laughs> but someone stole it before I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so irritated. And uh, anyway, that's that's all I got. Oh, and my pile of stuff. I never thought this would be Cocoa Tools. I need a punch down tool, RJ Cramper for Cocoa. You kidding me? So this is going to be a fun fest. We should have a lot of neat network demo things happening. 
And you're bringing a guitar and amp too, aren't you? Oh, yeah. already packed and ready to go. Look at that. <laughs> We're ready to go. Pretty guitar this year. I'm not going to bring the, the old beat up Fender. But uh, yeah, Local Fest. Oh, we got one more show. Yeah, one more before. And yep. I guess uh, Mark Bosley there, I think you, I, I don't know if you want to make an official announcement. We are going to try to do a live Coco Nation show at some point during the fest, too. Yeah, if we can find the time. Yeah, that's the biggest problem. <laughs> so, I don't know, it may end up being Sunday or something. But I'm going to try to bring enough equipment to uh, put on a show. Now, I was hoping Grant Lee would be here to talk, uh, and we were talking in the hotel about bandwidth, et cetera, and I'm, I'm hoping it's got enough bandwidth, because there's a few live shows trying to stream from there. Yeah, so, and I don't want to conflict with the rest of them either. No. Maybe. It's a bad experience for everybody. Maybe do an After Dark or something. Remember that show when was it 97 or whatever? They put a 40-foot ham antenna outside the hotel with a dish on top of it. We need that. Oh, yeah, in the parking lot. I do remember that. <laughs> yeah, it was in the 90s. That was in Elgin, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just thinking maybe, uh, you know, if it's after dark, hmm, maybe the uh, jam session. Well, I can pull away from the jam <laughs> session to go visit the show, but this it gives people something to, you know, listen and watch to other than us poorly play stuff. It's hilarious, though. It makes good entertainment. So, all right, we'll, we'll kind of play it by ear, but uh, um, we'll see. We'll make the attempt at least. Yeah. And I think Glenside's actually streaming like the general show and stuff, or at least they're making the arrangements for it. So people can, you know, can't make it like say Nick, cause it's really expensive to fly from Australia. Hmm. How far do you want to send the uh, show on Wi-Fi? I can go five to 10 miles. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, this is a. Uh, what is Maybe it? we could do a repeater from the local McDonald's. <laughs> I got the shotgun mic to send it with somewhere. Bring your parabolic reflectors, everyone. <laughs> yeah, this is a uh, two gigahertz. Um, Get enough of those together, we can microwave our own food without a microwave. Yeah. yeah. From a, from a distance. Yeah. I'm afraid you're going to use it like, you know, the old days in the 1880s, whenever they'd yank you up and act off the stage by grabbing a cane and looping you by the neck. I can see when we're playing guitar, if we would play really badly, Sleepy's going to aim that thing at us and like burn our butts or something with it so we can get off stage. <laughs> Obviously, okay. you don't know my uh, music m musical ability. I I wouldn't know good music from bad music. I mean, that's why I used to listen to music that was that was um, compared to abusing musical instruments, i.e. punk. So, like old punk, not the new poppy punk stuff, right? I presume. Right, like black black flag. flag. <laughs> yes. I could just see Sloopy with a mohawk painted purple. Like, yep. Mm, no. Just take his beard, flip it upside down, so it's on the top of his head, and there you go. It's ready to go. Hey, hey, this is not a beard. It's a goatee with some laziness involved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fred says he's bringing his trombone. Yes, I'm supposed to learn uh, at least the bare basics of a Chicago song, so he has something to play against, which I've done a tiny bit of, but I haven't had much time to do it yet. So, CTA, stick to CTA. 
Okay. Well, are we ready for the game on challenge? Uh, depends on sure. Mr. Ken. Okay. That's a maybe. Right. I'm not sure if that means yes. <laughs> I'll do it anyway. <laughs> All right. Sure. Why uh, not? <laughs> do we want to do the commercial first commercial break first anyway. Sure. Sure. The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Ascom, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Dinty's Hideaway, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Grant Leedy, John, Boat of Car Schaller, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Spotless Mind 1975 says, Hello, my name is Marco. I was invited into this channel since I am the author of UG Basic. UG Basic is an isomorphic compiler with a modern IDE, UG Basic IDE, that outputs TRS-80 color computer binary file and or disk image for running on that machine. The same source file can be compiled for other 8-bit platforms with the same or other CPUs as well, with little or no changes. The whole project is open source. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Cruise Mungers, Glenside Computer Club, Knight Beard, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. Because cocoing is better together. Don't miss the 31st annual Last Chicago Cocoa Fest. April 22nd and 23rd, 2023. Go to tandylist.com or blendsideccc.com. Register today. Don't miss it. Candylist.com BlendsideCCC.com Register today April 22nd and 23rd, 2023 Don't miss it April 22nd and 23rd, 2023
glensideccc.com. Welcome to the Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Rad Warrior. We had a total of eight players. We had Shenley with 1289, Ed Rhodes 1664, Paul Shoemaker 1808, Jim Rye 2240, Canadian Retro Things 2960. Mr. Dave 6309, 3472. L. Curtis Boyle, 3808. And the number one score this week was TJB Chris with 5024. Thanks everybody that played. We'll see you again next week. All right, well, that was uh, Rad Warrior. Um, a game that I think a lot of people had trouble with the uh, controls because they weren't that good. <laughs> and they do take some getting used to. I yeah, will. I will say that definitely take some getting used to. And don't if you do revisit this game, don't use the joystick. Use the keyboard. It's way easier. Yep. Also, also make uh, a map. Paul Shoemaker says played Rad Warrior makes it sound bit bit better than it was. <laughs> Uh, okay, so let me just find what I'm looking for here. And since a lot of people probably won't be revisiting it, if you do manage to show TJB Chris <laughs> actually winning the game to show what the... I will be showing that in a cool. minute. I have that queued up. So cool. but first, um, February 1989, there was an article in Rainbow Magazine about Rad Warrior. Now... I wouldn't really call this a review. It's more like a column and a half ad for it. <laughs> the guy didn't actually review the game. He just went through and uh, told you exactly the backstory and playing the game. There was absolutely no personal opinion or anything in this. So, Yeah, Rainbow had some pretty bad reviewers, let's be honest. Some of them were yeah. just shills for whatever company was having the game. And Well, honestly, about at least half of this was taken almost word for word directly from the um, manual. So <laughs> That's pretty bad. So, well, if yeah. Have, if you have nothing nice to say, then say nothing. <laughs> I guess that's one way to look at it. I, oh, like, you could have summed you. this up with, read the manual, and you would have yeah, been done. basically. It could have uh, saved, saved some space. But, yeah, so that uh, was not a helpful review at all for anybody that was looking <laughs> at buying the game. Absolutely now, true. As uh, Curtis alluded to, um, TJB Chris actually on the live stream did beat the game. So I will fire that up. 
Okay, so if you watch uh, right now, TJB Chris is the one in the lower right-hand corner. And he's just going up to the final screen here. So, Curtis, you can uh, probably uh, explain what's going on. I never well, there's four part. objects you pick up to pipe your suit. The last one is the thing to blow the whole reactor out, which is where you're in the core of. And he's about to do that, which actually had an effect. I remember when I did it back in the early 90s, I was quite impressed with the effect at the time. If I had to guess, nobody else in the panel actually ever won this game, right? No. <laughs> I think he's going to do it. I found... yeah, Unfortunately, he had the wrong colors, unfortunately, because he yeah. was typing in through oh. a separate screen. i got to say, that looks a bit different. I found the suit in the game. Yeah, that's I detonation and sequence initialized. And your little status there. Four, three, two, one, I'll count it down. But she had some bandwidth issues, that was one problem. Yeah. So you won't get the full effect, but but it kind of almost as like a black hole sucking everything in type thing. It was kind of a a kaleidoscope. A neat a neat effect. <laughs> Well, he went out with a bang. And it says your race is free. And that's the end of the game. That's what happens if you beat it. But it's one of these games that definitely uh, you don't get your highest score if you just go from beating the game. No. Um, you, can, you, can, you can farm points, but yeah. uh, I these games would actually have an end. I never play to farm points. I want to see the end. I've done it with Nick's games too. I mean, there's people who, you know killed my scores, but on the other hand, you know, didn't finish the game. So, yeah. So definitely, it's the type of game that if uh, getting high up on the leaderboard is more important than um, actually seeing the end of the game, then it's one where you can actually just go back and forth between two screens and keep even just throwing rocks at things. Yep. What What's your general review, Ken? Because you, I don't think you'd ever played this one before, right? Um, I had tried it before, but I never read the instructions, so I had no idea what I was doing. Actually, knowing what I was doing, the concept of the game is good. I liked it. It's and it's a fun game, except uh, as we just said earlier, the controls were a little wonky. So if the if the control scheme was better, then I think the game would have been a lot more fun. Yeah. So uh, just out of curiosity, like obviously. Like me and like Chris, you agree that the keyboard controls is a lot easier, but they're still a little bit rough. What would you do to improve them? A better way to jump diagonally. That that was the biggest problem. Like you would get stuck in a spot where you had to stand on a pedestal and then jump up to the next level. And you just constantly keep falling off the pedestal, falling off the pedestal, falling off the pedestal. And it got annoying, basically. Yeah. I mean, I, I, got, I did get to the point where about 50% of the time I was able to do the jump, but at the beginning, I would say about 5% of the time I was able to make the jump. So, yeah, it's definitely one. I mean, Chris alluded to this too on his play that uh, this is one, it took a while to get used to the controls. You kind of had to try joystick, try keyboard, then everybody pretty well figures out keyboards easier. Uh, for me, it's, it's a fact that like to get in your suit, you have to tap the key to face forward. Yeah. And when you're trying to shoot things, you got to like tap it a couple times. You can fully rotate 180 degrees like that. That's awkward. 
And if you hold down too long, you turn too much or you hold down not long enough, then you don't turn enough. So you get hit instead of getting into your suit. And there's a bunch of little things. I think they should have used a separate key to get in the suit, like maybe tap the shift key or the enter key or some other, you know, key that's nearby where your fingers are anyway. That would have yeah. made it a lot better. Paul Streamaker had a question. He was asking about the little screen in the middle of the interface. Did it actually display anything or is it just a snowy fuzzy thing? Oh, yeah. You have to activate the suit to get it to light up. So until you do that, like until you get into the suit for the first time, it's just a dead display. Ah. Um, and then once that, you start getting little readouts when you bring in stuff. Uh, the, when you upgrade the four parts of your suit that are missing, the anti-grab boots, the pulsar blaster, Spark the, <laughs> the irradiator, whatever it's called, and then the thing you actually blow up the reactor at the end, it'll tell you that those things are getting installed and... I think he was talking about that actual little screen that's right above the display that yeah, the readout display. Like, I recall it being a scanner sometimes, but I haven't played this game in 30 years. Yeah, you have to show me the screen here, Ken, and, and I'm, I'm not uh, sure what you're talking about here. Crap. Right in the I, middle of the whole cluster, there's a little screen. Yeah, I turn it just a second. I'll um, just give me a second here. I actually turned that one off. So. No, you can do something to make it useful because I did it. Jeez, I should have played the game. I remember. I mean, honestly, I, I when I was younger, I quite liked the game because I got used to the controls. I could beat it repeatedly, and then I took a, like a twenty-year break, and then I sucked at it again. Okay, but I had so, written out maps, and that is critical. Like, if you want to tip on the game, write out a map so you know where to find stuff, so you're not wasting your time dying going between screens and levels here trying to find it. Okay, so on the one that's uh, playing Rad Warrior there, I think they're talking about the little square screen in the middle. Right. Does it actually display anything? Because usually it's just fuzzy when it's on. There's the round screen, yeah. the square screen, the yeah, I think that's screen. what Paul was talking about. Yeah, you'd have to take a look at Chris's video when he won, I think. Yeah. Because nobody got, I didn't get close to winning on this one. Okay, let me just... Well, I got three of the four suit charges this time. I only got two last week. Okay, well, um, Curtis, talk about the game while I try to bring that up again. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, it's it's uh, the, the keyboard controls are better than the joystick by far, but they're still somewhat awkward. Uh, but if you practice, it does become a bit more second nature, as you saw Chris do it. And the big thing is just to memorize where to get things. You're, you're, like, there's lots of screens. It's kind of built in a a tree-like pyramid shape to get wider levels in the bottom. They work way narrow at the top. But some of the stuff at the beginning is very scattered way across. You have to like run through 13 screens horizontally to get to something. So if you know exactly where you're supposed to be going rather than kind of just stumbling around, um, you'll you'll save a lot of deaths. The other thing is you have to keep going back to your suit. Your suit will recharge your human self. So if you're getting close to dying, if you can get back into your suit... And stay in there. It'll recharge your human up to full strength again. And uh, remember that, I guess. If you notice that you're trying to go run off to the side to get something and the suit's not fully activated to fly yet, it may be worth sometimes just doubling back to the suit. You know, you had a bad run. As soon as you went to another screen, an alien immediately hit you and you're going to die. Well, then just run back to your suit, recharge, and try it again. And then, there's no time limit on it. There's no timer. So can you see that now, what Chris was playing there? Nope. Nope. No. Oh, did I see I you. Yeah. I think you're sharing the screen. I thought I shared. Oh, how about now? <laughs> yep. yep. Okay, so the staticky screen, square one in the center. 
Okay, back it back it up so he's. I just want to see if it changes anything at all. Oh, there. Okay, it's showing something in this in it now. There's a little face in it. Yeah, he I was looking at the thing in front of him there. I think when you when you get certain highlight messages that print across the bottom, I think it does a graphical equivalent of whatever that is. Okay. You don't have to read. You can see the thing. Because, yeah, it's all staticky right now, so. Yeah, because there's nothing really being happening as far as you haven't picked up something new or. But it's it's very limited use. I seem to recall it's pretty well static most of the time, except when you pick up yeah. something new. I never got far enough in the game for it to actually ever display anything. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I might have on that last one on Thursday, but maybe not. I can't remember. I was too busy trying to figure out how to when my suit ran out of power and is up in the high radiation zone. And, and that stupid dragon thing on the walls firing flames at me. And I got a honking big stalagmite sitting in front of me trying to figure out if there's any way to jump up so I can try to get an energy pack. And I wasted a good 10 minutes there. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I will say so, it's, it's it plays better than Neutroid. Uh-huh. <laughs> say someone who doesn't know how to play Neutroid. Do we have do we have a Neutroid insult counter on the screen yet? <laughs> That's what's in that middle screen display in in Rad Warrior. Huh. <laughs> I'm just bugging Nick. Actually, it's uh, I, the game is better than I thought it was. And I agree with Paul Shoemaker. Neutroid is way better. No, they're just different, <laughs> I think. Both have frustrating controls. <laughs> I'm going to stick I have with a, uh, I have a new Neutroid uh, possibly in development. I'll, I can show a screenshot later on in the game, uh, the game news. Oh, okay, cool. Couldn't you have done a better game, though? Oh, no, it's just something I wanted to do, <laughs> just to shut up some of the uh, critics. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, w- well one of them anyway. <laughs> well, it's it's the first free game that I've ever wanted a refund for. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. Hey, no. Them, Including your brothers? <laughs> They're not free. Yeah. They weren't originally free. Yeah, I can't charge you through the nose for his games. I don't know what you're talking about. He's charging via noses? What? Yes. All right. Uh, tips and tricks for Rad Warrior. Um, map out where everything is. The uh, the aliens are randomized somewhat. Some are randomized. Some are in fixed positions. But your stuff that you have to pick up for your suit and your energy charges are always in the exact same spot. So if you make a map, and if you go to my uh, Rad Warrior page, I didn't finish getting the map done by any stretch, but I've got the bottom two levels completely mapped. And then up to the fifth level, I think I've got little bits. You can kind of at least use that as a bit of a guide. Somebody will write a program to extract the maps and probably make it a thing like they've done recently for Dragon Slayer, et cetera. And you can uh, farm points just by going back and forth between screens. So, Yeah, if you're going for points. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my my say would be that, uh, yeah, it needed better control of the uh, movement. Yeah, I will agree with that. And if it it had the better control of the movement, it would have been uh, a pretty premium game. Yeah, the sound is pretty minimal. It's not to write home about. It's pretty staticky stuff. 
the graphics though is one thing that really impressed me with Rad Warrior because he's using the 160 mode uh, instead of the 320, but his use of color makes it appear higher res than it really is. Like he's done a really good job. If you compare it with some of the other versions, and on most other platforms, this is actually called the Sacred Armor of the Anti-Rad. I much prefer Rad Warrior. Um, but there's like C64 versions and Atari versions, etc. And from all the other ones I've seen, I think the Coco version graphically actually looks the best. I don't know if anybody else has played any of the other versions and uh, has an opinion on it. Maybe Sloopy or Mark, if you guys have played some of the other platforms. Nope. I have not either. I've never seen this on the Apple. Uh, probably was uh, limited to the number of uh, games I could exchange in my area of the country. So, <laughs> Well, if I remember what? correctly, too, this game was originally done in Europe and then got brought over. So that might be another reason a lot of people haven't seen it, because I think it was much more popular overseas. It is an Epics game, though, and Epics... Well, Epics was the rebrand of it. That was part of their yeah. Max Out series, but I believe the original development company, which is mentioned on the credit screen or in the manual, um, is, a, is a UK company, if I remember correctly. And I think that's where the Sacred Armor version of it originally came out a few years before the Coco version. And why does the Coco version have a different name? Because the Sacred Armor, the Anti-Rad is a stupid title. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The original company was called Palace Software. Right, that's it, right. It was a stupid title, it fits the game. (laughs) Uh, Why did Tandy do that? Uh, I'm going to call Nick's game Stuproid now, um, in that case. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of of interesting that uh, (laughs) a lot of people are saying that this was a bad game just because it was hard to play. And then... I'm not mentioning Sloopy's name, but he defends uh, Neutroid, which is a really hard game to play. And Yeah. It's no kind for some people's taste. I do like the comment <laughs> in the chat, though, from uh, Alan Murphy saying that Nick's new version, which we'll be showing a sneak preview of the worldwide premiere, um, he's going to call it Neutroid 2024, the Curtis edition, just to rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, I think enough about Rad Warrior for now. Yeah, and how um, about the other game that's continuing? The other game we were playing was I still I call it Eric's. I don't I, know if that's the right pronunciation or not. Arex, Eric's, however you want to say it. Um, yeah, it's basically a cross between Snake and Kicks. So uh, that's the a good idea, description. The idea is to fill up the screen as much as you can, except that. Unlike in Kicks, when you like make a line across the screen, it doesn't fill in the area. You have to actually physically draw with your tail, I guess, everything. Yeah. And um, yeah, and you don't have to fill hundred percent of the open space. You only have to yeah. fill a certain percentage. So, which I found out on the Atari eight hundred version that uh, you can't fill out hundred percent of the uh, space, even though they want you to. Yeah, because is that a, is that a buggy copy? I can't see them releasing it that way. That was stupid. I don't know what what the point of it was. I think it's supposed to be a practice mode, but yeah. Like you it's, have to abort the game to get out of it, right? Yeah, you have to abort the game. Well, you have to just sit there and wait for yourself to die. Yeah, that's just dumb. Because if you stand still too long, then your tail behind you starts exploding, and once it catches up to you, it kills you. Yeah. Now, I did want to ask uh, Nick Rennies, because Nick was a Model 1-3 guy before he was a Coco guy, and Eric's was originally a Model 1-3 game before it became a Coco and Atari game. Um, is this one you ever tried in your travels on the Model One Three? Uh, hang on. Of what? Of Eric's, 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 Eric's. <laughs> oh, I no, I never tried it. No, 
What kind of a pirate were you? <laughs> and I searched and searched. I could not find a copy of it for the Model 1 and 3. So, Yeah, you found some screenshots. So. I found some there screenshots, are, yeah. but that's, that was it. So. And I found the manual for it on the Internet Archive, which is the Atari manual. Mm-hmm. And then I saw, which I uploaded to the uh, Color Computer Archive. It's up there now, too. There was uh, actually a copy of it on eBay for the Cocoa version of it. Full box artwork, the whole bit. So I kind of stitched all that together through up there because that's the only time I've ever seen it in my life. Hmm. So if you want to check it out, it's on the uh, Color Computer Archive now. So it's uh, a bit of a strategy game, too. you got to make sure you don't accidentally uh, box yourself out of being able to completely fill up enough of the screen. Yeah. And- the, the biggest thing on Eric's, as far as uh, for me for playing it, is you definitely want a centering joystick. You do not want to play this with a free float. Um, and there are times where it'll place you in different corners, and sometimes the strategy of what order you should do things will change depending on what direction you start in. Yep. So uh, you want to, like, if sometimes if you have to go like do a zigzag pattern to fill in enough rather than just doing straight lines, you just trap yourself. So you definitely want the old self centering so you can just tap it so you're not overrunning and you know, wasting space you can't get back to. You can also, the uh, little shaky dot thingies that you can chase and actually kill, they'll start vibrating and making a noise if they are about to turn into one of the rockets. But you can trap a rocket. If you know you're not going to be able to get to that guy in time to kill it before it changes over, see if you can just cut it off so you trap it and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. You can do that, but uh, it's really easy to accidentally trap it in a space where you're just, uh, you've made it too too much of the screen that you can't access too. Yep. No, you have to be careful. And of course the game gets more difficult. The open first screen is which I think the Atari version actually had a name for the dungeon or something. The uh the first screen open. was the arena screen oh, on the, arena. the Atari, which was level one on the Coco. Yeah. And then after that you start getting pre-filled in blocks of a different color that you can't destroy Basically, or yeah, walls. Yeah. Yeah. You have fancy English professor here. Um <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it, it starts getting a bit more complex when you've got these things you have to maneuver around. And you have to do them in a certain order or try to fill in certain areas in a certain way, or you're never going to be able to fill up your quota that you need to get on the next screen. Yeah. And I don't know how many levels there are. I've been up to, I might have gotten further in the past, but if I do, I don't remember them. I got up to level six at the tail end of the uh, live game on Challenge on Thursday, which you you can check it on the, on the video stream for that. But uh, the Atari version, does it only have two levels or does it? No, you can beat the dungeon level, and but their second one is actually different than the. I think I was watching. I think their second one is like level four on the Coco, and oh, so they mixed them up. Yeah, yeah. Be interesting to compare them with the model one three if they pick the same ones or if they started changing them up a bit. There, they're all by different authors, and also this wasn't just on the uh, Atari and the. Coco in the Model 1 and 3. Coco in the Model 1 and 3. It was also on the C64, DOS, and uh, Apple II. Of which I could not find an Apple II version or a DOS version. I found a Commodore version, but it uh, wouldn't work. It would just do the title screen and you couldn't get off of it. Okay. And then Mark and Sloopy, you guys have never seen this game in your travels among Pirateville? No, unfortunately not. No, I have not. I don't know if it just wasn't that popular. Like I had a copy of this like not long after it was released. Not legitimately, but I did have a copy of it. So 
Can, I think I, I got the two. Like if you remember the fir- the full color, full page ad from Adventure National and Rainbow uh, did two Roger Shrag conversions. And Eric's was the top one. And I think the bottom was Airline, which is kind of more a strategy trading game style thing. Maybe not trading, but strategy game. And uh, I had both copies of that within like two months. Of that. I didn't know where they came from. Now, I did read that this was the most ported Model 1 and 3 game that was ever made made originally on that computer. So, Oh, okay. You mean it wasn't Donut Dilemma? Yeah, so that's my next question. Because <laughs> that's been on the Coco, the Model 1 and 3, and what's the other, Maximite or something? Maximite, yeah. And then somebody was making a Windows version? I uh, never completed, though. Oh, okay. well, this one this one went to six computers outside of the uh, Model 1 and 3, or five computers. Apple. I guess five computers. Yeah. I, I always found so the game fun. It, was, it wasn't it was like my top favorite or anything, but I, yeah. I played it a fair bit. I, I'd bring it up because it was quick. I mean, you, you had a simple sense of accomplishment within like two minutes if you could last like level three or four. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not like one you're going to play for hours at a time, but it was a good quick, not quite casual. It's a bit too arcadey for casual, but it was definitely a, a go-to. I used quite a bit for a, a quick game before I had to run somewhere. And it's the type of game that when you get to a new level, then you kind of want to remember what that level looked like. And you, you got to think about it because right off the bat, you usually can't figure out a good strategy. Yeah. But when you've hit a new level, then you got to sit and think about it for a couple of minutes on how what's the best strategy to fill this level in. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's a it's a pretty good game. I, I like the fact that it mixed snake and kicks. That was a perfect description. I hadn't thought of that before, but that that pretty well nails it. And it's um, it's innovative in that way. I mean, it's using two tropes that have been around for a long time, but a good mix up between the two. Yep. So that game is going for another week, so you have time to try it still. Um, I guess, Loopy, would you like to talk about the Game On Challenge night game live show? If Sloopy's around. I'm always around, especially okay. in the middle. I will bring up the uh, some video from that, and uh, you can talk about what happened. All right. Yeah, we had uh, five people playing, and um, it was mostly popular. I would say it was four-fifths popular here. Sorry for the snoring. <laughs> yeah, that was hilarious. That was the best part of the night. At first, I thought somebody's mic had come unplugged, and we were getting static every once in a while. Then I recognized, nope, that's human snoring. Yeah, I was going to get to that. The wild <laughs> Snorlax we had uh, on the show. But uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty popular. Uh, the um, A-Rex or Eric's was very po- was a very popular game, and we had a bunch of people playing it. And uh, that other game, and uh, we played <laughs> it. We were tortured by it. And Did you guys actually play it? I thought I was the only one who played Red Warrior. No, I played, I played it for a bit. I okay. played it for a bit before you came on. And I've decided that I'm going to make it its new, make it its very own trophy that I call the War Games Trophy. The best way to win is to not play the game. And that was agreed to by. You should call that the Neutroid Trophy. No, that was, (laughs) that's, people actually played it and admitted that there was, that it's 
takes some getting used to, but it's not a bad game. Everyone said that Rad Warrior, there's a the best that I that I could say about it is that there's a decent game in there that's screaming to get out. It if you change the controls in it, then yes, it could be a hundred percent better. So like Neutroid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. pretty well nailed it. They're yeah. they're pieces of a pod, those two. Yeah. No, Neutroid, it's the controls are fine. It's just the uh it has a pebcac error. Problem exists between chi and uh, chair and keyboard. No, programmer and keyboard because <laughs> the controls suck. And uh, <laughs> yeah, because it's like here in the bottom right corner where the um where it's playing on that pedestal, you have to jump up and to the right, which is once you get used to it, it's it's actually not that hard. Yeah, that not that hard. It's but it's that's still, the pebcac we're talking about there. Yeah. So, but yeah, we uh, also had uh, uh, a wild Snorlax on the show too. And <laughs> <laughs> now, are you going to defend yourself, Mark, as to why that happened? Uh, it was past his bedtime. <laughs> well, I think you said you had a really early morning that for work or something, didn't you? Uh, no, the, the real reason is because uh, Rad Warrior put him to sleep. Yeah, but only one person was playing Rad Warrior, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't him. And Rad oh, Warrior doesn't do put game. you to sleep? No, you get all fired up because you're mad, right? Yeah. <laughs> you get worn out from cussing and swearing at it so that you just pass out from exhaustion. <laughs> <laughs> just but, ran yeah. out of gas. That's all it was. Yeah. No, it's... <laughs> Yeah, I I I will admit that Red Warrior could use some improvements. I mean, there yeah. there does seem to be a decent game in there. Uh the other thing is is I mean, not just like the jumping controls, but um the other big thing is you can only throw a rock in a specific either left or right in a specific arc. Yeah. And no other way, which made it kind of difficult to get some of the monsters. So it seems That's true. Yeah, so it seems that that energy is a big thing, but I mean the good thing is is that if you go into the suit, you get unlimited energy, which is which kind of nullifies that, but just getting to that point in the first place with yeah. the uh, movement controls. Was, and and the randomness of the appearance of the first monsters, like if you get start the game, like it randomly picks up you on the left or right side when you start. If you're on the left side and you've got 12 or 10 screens or something to get to your suit and you have randomly placed monsters that you can't hit with the arcing rock, then you tend to die at least once before you even ever get to it. That that is a problem. I think I agree with that. Yeah, and right here it's actually showing on the screen in the bottom right where you die right next to this purple. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. Then the, you get the perpetual the death. That is a bad flaw. I will totally agree with you on that one. That should <laughs> not have been. Yeah, that's that's another thing that that should have been uh, taken care of. But. See, that's why I was hoping maybe you or Mark or some of the other people that are more cross-platform oriented had played one of these sacred armor of the anti-rad versions of it. Cause I was curious if some of those, like is the bad controls common to all of them? Is that perpetual death? If you happen to die in the wrong spot with stuff falling on you, is that common on them? Or is that just a part of the translation of the cocoa that went a little bit snaky? That's yeah. one thing I was wondering, but unfortunately nobody else has played it. So yeah, unfortunately I yeah. didn't find out what the game, what the new game was until Monday and that there was issues. So, um, Otherwise, I would have looked and seen and maybe even played it on the stream this past weekend, which you're I'm not allowed to do it if you're, you're not playing the Coco version. 
Yeah, well, I think that <laughs> a good um, a good comparison is for these games that are available multi-platform that we have other people um, at least try them on the stream so that we can get a good idea on uh, how they compare and contrast with the other platform. Similar so, game. So you're saying I should pull out the Atari 800 for next uh, week and uh, show you that really dumb screen on Eric's that you can't beat? Yes, exactly. That That's actually not a bad show. idea because anything that's cross-platform, I mean, back in the day, we would have compared the living hell out of them. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. I'm, I'm just... Busting Sloopy's chops you're, there. You're, you're trying to give me shit, and I'm turning it into fertilizer for roses. <laughs> <laughs> you know that um, the Sacred Armor of Anti-Triad is available as a freeware game, uh, a remake on a PC, so with better graphics and everything. Yeah, well... I just downloaded I think, it. Yeah, I think we should limit the, the it to uh, 8-bit systems. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, but I mean, just to compare to see, see what. Yeah, I don't uh, know. Like, like having something that recent that's a remake now probably wouldn't be a, a comparison. Like the controls are probably totally different because everything's done differently now. So I'm not sure if that would really help. Um, wouldn't be. But good yeah, it would be interesting to see it anyway. I think. Yeah. Well, well, I'm I've downloaded it. I'll see if I can get it going and maybe show it later. So it says that it was released on the Commodore 64, TRS-80, Amstrad CPC, DOS, ZX Spectrum, Apple II, and MSX. Yeah, and there's videos on YouTube of some of those, like C64, but that doesn't tell you how the controls are, which is the big thing. Watching it, actually, it looks it looks good on the Coco version. It looks good on some of the other versions, too, though. I still think the Coco is one of the best-looking ones. Did anyone try it using a digital joystick rather than the crappy analog ones? Yes, yeah, I, I don't think it helped much. <laughs> I used both right. a Sega Genesis controller and a Epix 500XJ. Right. But it's funny because TGB Chris, you know, from the previous week and me are the only two that I know of that have actually won the game. And we both came up with the exact same, you know, uh, observation that the keyboard controls are so much better than the, the joystick controls. So both of us back in the day tried it both ways and immediately went to keyboard and never touched a joystick on it again. Now, Ken, did you want to do any discussion, or Sloopy for that matter, do you want any discussion on Eric's tips or tricks? We want to save that for next week. Um, I would say don't die. Um, yeah, as far as tips and tricks go for it, it's there's not a lot. Yeah. Don't don't uh, cut yourself off from and too much of the screen. Yeah, don't paint yourself in a corner. Um, yeah, like I know the, in certain later levels, there's certain paths you should take to make it easier, where you get nice long lines you can go. Yeah. Whereas otherwise, you might have to do these quick zigzags, and you almost always miss one or two, and you start losing squares that you can't get back to. Yeah, and watch out for the Y things because they will they will come uh, target you. The missiles. Especially yeah. if you're in a corner. And there's actually there's two types of missiles. Um, there's one that will go uh, vertically and horizontally, and then there's one that goes just diagonally. Yeah, and no. uh, especially the like the diagonal ones will try to come get you, but it's very it's a little bit more difficult for them to come get you. But the Y ones they they will they will target you and get you pretty quick. So you have to be careful with them. Yeah. Now, Ken, did you actually go through the manual for this at all? Well, nope. Hang on. Hang on. 
I've got to try kill this noise. I was just trying to play the game and they're just blaring out of the speaker. <laughs> we didn't Continue really hear that. it here, so. I oh, didn't. I was just going like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mostly just read stuff online for it. So, because I did see something when I was getting up to level five or six, maybe even four, that I had I didn't remember, and I, I'm gonna have to read the manual. But there was a a spot that actually turned into it looked like a little white UFO, and I have no idea what the hell that is. I don't know if that was a free man or something. I didn't really notice it when I ran over it. Whether I, I got think any. the missiles turn into little UFOs if you trap them with and they can't move. But I could be wrong. Okay, I'll have to read that in the manual because I, I didn't remember that from playing it even back in the old days. So, yeah. Oh, like I said, the manual is on the Internet Archive, the Atari version. But I imagine the gameplay for that would be the same. Yeah, well, the gameplay is pretty much the same. Except you can actually win levels on the Coco version. Yeah. <laughs> also, Mark, uh, you've got some updates on the Apple version of uh, Mark Overhose, I should mention, uh, on the Rad Warrior for the Apple. Yeah, I found a manual for the Apple version and uh, a uh, cover. Uh, so it says 128K, which means an Apple IIe or Apple IIc or the 2GS. So might mean it has uh, double enhanced graphics, which means more colors and a higher resolution than the original Apple II. I was going to see if I could fire it up in an Apple emulator and see what it looked like. Yeah, if you, if you actually do get it, I wouldn't mind sharing that. Just see, because I've never seen any of the other versions actually running except on YouTube videos. So it'd be interesting to hear your opinion of the controls. Well, I'll give it a try. I got real Apple joysticks and real Apple twos, so I can give it a whirl. Yeah, my Apple II GSs don't work at the moment. Also, <laughs> it doesn't help. I don't have a storage solution for them besides a uh, SCSI card, which I don't have a disk drive to go with it. <laughs> I have some 50-pin SCSI drives for you. Really? Nice. Bring them down the fest, yeah. then. You guys can exchange. Curtis, courtesy of Mark B. <coughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I, I, I think that pretty much sums up uh, the uh, situation with the uh, A-Rex or Eric's. Um, but yeah, it's it seems to be a pretty good, pretty good solid game, and uh, we'll try it on different uh we'll we'll try it and see how it look how it looks and go from there which begs the question when's the uh, mc10 uh, version being released <laughs> talk to jim gary actually it wouldn't be a hard game to make on yeah the that MC10. would be one that actually could do you could do it in low res even so work. jim if you're listening we want an eric's version on it's uh, sporting time yeah yeah yeah, but doesn't he only do basic? No, he has uh, Greg Dion's MC10 basic compiler, which can speed some games up two to three times. So, so and even then, it wouldn't be that hard to make in basic. He's even and... got that uh, button joypad-y thing. Oh, but that I think only goes left and right. That's all oh, right. Yeah, it's kind of a paddle style, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. Although, actually, keyboard control on this game would be pretty good. Yeah, it's just it's four, four directions. There's no diagonals yeah. or anything. No firing, no anything else. You just need four directions. That's it. Yep. Sorry, Nick, were you saying something? Oh, nothing. No. Okay. All right. Well, I guess it is time to take a look at some games. Oh. Again? Okay, so obviously, <laughs> as we've been talking about, this is... For one more week. A-Rex. A-Rex. 
So we all know that one, but does anybody recognize? Oh, and by the way, this next game is actually going to be for, I guess, three weeks, because I'm assuming we're not doing a game on challenge for the uh, weekend of Coco Fest. So the next two two weeks are going to be games that are going to last three weeks each. Either that or if if Tim and AJ and or Boat and Aaron are picking some games, maybe we can kind of make a encompassing thing. We're at the fest. We can play yeah, the well, same games. At the, at the fest we can, but I mean, I'm just saying that we're not going to be able to, we're not going to be doing a results video and everything yeah, yeah, during yeah. Coco Fest. So no. this one, this game will go until the week the after week. Coco Fest. Yeah. Why not? Um, because I don't want to be uh, tied down. To, Doing Do that, that and upload that and get everything ready while I'm traveling down the highway with Curtis. But from the car. Yeah, well, well, Curtis is driving. I mean, you're just sitting there in the past. Yeah, but I'm going to be dri- driving for traveling for like almost five days. So that's what Coco I'm saying. Fest. You're going to be in a passenger seat. All you got to do play it. You, you just turn off the uh, OS 9 uh, switch on uh, Curtis. <laughs> and that's and not possible. Have you driven with Curtis? <laughs> I've got uh, I've got duct tape. I've got gorilla tape. You can you borrow? I just talk louder through that. It's a bit more muffled, uh-huh. but it still works. That might work. Not one hundred percent sure if if you get them started on EOU, but all right. Well, anyway, yeah, they're going to be putting the finishing touches on their seminar. Yeah, yeah, that too. Plus, yeah. I've got to get a seminar ready for her. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I gotta get started on that. Yeah, well, I don't have the time, so. Oh, this is a here's, UK import. Here's a good British game, and um, if you know the name of it, you'll definitely know it's a British game. I know the name of it. I'll let everybody else guess first. Uh, let's see. It's Cuthbert shame, goes to space. I assume nope. that's beer on the uh, bottom left corner. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. No, I've never Nathan seen this Cup? game before. Bottoms up. I have no clue. Oil <laughs> it's one of Simon WGB's favorite games. If you guys have ever watched his Twitch or YouTube channels when he goes back and plays Dragon stuff. Oh, there tea we go. time, right? Tea time. So there's you can't get more British than this. <laughs> there's three different screens. Um, you've got to catch the tea drops on one screen and uh, fill up your uh, cup at the side, which is basically your timer. So I think you got to catch 30 tea drops, something like that, but you got to continually keep filling up your cup so that you don't run out of time. And then and the, if you uh, overflow your cup, you die. So you have to go empty it out every once in a while, right? Well, how do you know it's a British game? Because it's done in artifacting. Artifacting it, it, it was wasn't originally. This is the Coco hacked version of it. The original yeah. version is not artifacted. It's uh, oh. in one of the green or Oh, I think it's okay. in the green, blue, red, yellow palette set, if I remember correctly. Right. Okay. And, okay, so there's that. And then there's another, the other level is there's uh, sugar cubes dropping and you have to avoid them because they'll break your teapot. Which I think is weird because I thought British people loved sugar in their tea. The good builder's <laughs> cup they're using here. It should have extra sugar, extra milk, cream, everything. <laughs> yeah, they also insult their tea with uh, milk. Actually, and I tried it after finding that out when I was down in, in Ireland, for example, and actually it's it's not bad. Then the next level, you've uh, got to hop your tea tea uh, pot around and pick up tea leaves. So 
those are the three levels. And that's jumping between like elevator platforms. Yeah, there's like- little elevator platforms yeah. and stuff. So, and we're starting on level three just so that it's not too easy right off the bat. It sounds like a really weird, stupid game, but actually is quite fun. Yeah. Because when you start out, I'm not start on the easiest level, you just run around and collect the um, tea drops. But on the uh, level we're starting on, there's a hammer that will smash your teapot if it gets, if it follows you around the screen. And there's also sponges that will empty your teapot out. Yeah. So your first tip is on level one don't get hammered. Yeah. Don't get hammered and stay away from the sponge. And after that joke, you might even want to get hammered, but sound like a bunch of teetotalers. So yeah, we're starting on level three for that. So that's too bad. I haven't seen Sixy in the chat here. This is one I think he's played a fair bit too. I'm expecting a good score from him. Yeah, I've seen Sixy on here. Yeah, he's been on. Oh yes, okay. Well, Sixy, give us your review of it if you're still in the chat. Yeah. Also, speaking of which. Next week, one week today, I will not be here. I will be in New Jersey. At VCF East, right? Yes, I'll be at VCF East. We're very sorry. Yeah. New Jersey. Uh, Sleepy, I I don't know if if he's still going or if he's just thinking about it, but the guy that does the Tier City retro programming channel on YouTube that I cover for a bit, he's kind of learning basic as he goes, learning graphic techniques. He's thinking about possibly going down there. So I told him to check out any of the people that are actually running. Are you bringing any Cocoa stuff or are you guys just doing the Commodore stuff for Retro? I will be uh, representing Retro Innovations there. So, But he's got Cocoa stuff too. Are you bringing it out like you know, the Midi Maestro or something? Or is it strictly Commodore right. stuff you guys are doing? Um, I will I will have Commodore. I mean, I will have Cocoa product for sale there. I will have the Flash Pack and the uh, the Midi uh, cartridge, the Midi Mate, uh, the Midi. Mini Maestro? Mini Maestro, that's it. And I might have the Orchestra 12, 12 there. Or no, Philharmonic 12. Okay. But um, I'll see. I'll I- mention it to him that uh, there will be some Cocoa representatives down there from the show. He'd <laughs> asked about that, so that might give him enough incentive. I think he's further northeast of you guys. I'm not sure. He did tell me at one time where he's from, and I just can't remember. Thought my head, but it's way up in the northeast tip of the state somewhere. Yeah, because it's it's mostly sound stuff, which I don't do very well. <laughs> so, but I'll definitely have the flash the uh, flash pack there for for um, for sale, and then I guess I could bring a cocoa and uh, demo it for all you wonderful people that want to come join. Yeah, because is anybody else from the cocoa community going to BCF East this year? And who was there? La- like you were there last year. Was there any other cocoa people there? Um. The only person that was even Tandy related that I saw there that I remember seeing there was uh was uh Peter Satinsky. Okay. Or however you spell it, but say his name. Sorry. I always accidentally call him Peter Satara, the singer from Chicago. Don't ask me why. Yeah. Well, I have a friend that that's named Sazinski, and I keep saying trying to say that, and I know that's not right, because I know his name has a T in it. <laughs> Yeah, but he's definitely a much more model one, two, three guy than a Coco. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, there was a bunch of uh, Coco stuff in the um, in the consignment room, so there'll definitely be Coco representation there. It's just how much and what kind. 
Yeah, because there used to be a fairly large contingent of Cocoa people up in that area. Because, I mean, you know, Syracuse, New York's where Frank Hogg was. And uh, right. some of the game developers were up there. And yeah, there even used to be a New Jersey, Princeton, New Jersey, a Cocoa uh, Rainbow Fest. Yeah. So there, there was a fair bit. Uh, but I haven't seen a lot of them active there anymore. So I don't know if they have any large contingency anymore. Yeah. And there also might have been one or two Radio Shack stores there selling cocoa. So. Yeah, but quite a few of the developers, like when I've been going through my, you know, doing research for the game uh, webpage and stuff there, I've seen developers, quite a few in that area, New Jersey, New York, Maine. I don't know how many of those are still active. From the sounds of it, from what you said from VCF East here, it doesn't sound like too many. It may, may be that they just don't know. Yeah, I'll have to get the word out somehow. Yeah. Well, why don't, why don't you just uh, load up uh, Ken in your trubuchet and just send him out, too? Because neither of us can afford it. <laughs> I didn't say to have him travel. I said load him up in your trubuchet. I, I'm that, not getting launched good. across. That's that's a bit much range-wise. Eh. One way of getting out of paying the bridge tolls. Yeah, won't, <laughs> won't, won't hurt me one bit. <laughs> now, before we, we uh, finish up the rest, last bit of the game uh, challenge sequence here, uh, Mark, did you manage to get a download of Rad Warrior or sorry, Anti Rad on the uh, Apple? No, not yet. The uh, disk image is uh, corrupted or something. It's a hard disk image. I'm trying to mount it in my emulator and it's not working. So I got to figure that out. Oh, okay. I was hoping we may have it. I'll see if I can it. find a ZX Spectrum version. I have an emulator here. So we have another week, right? So, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so that's the two games, and like you said, Ken, this will be lasting. Now, there's still another new game coming next week, right? Yes, next week we'll have another new game, but it'll also last three weeks. Cause... Okay, so Tea Time for sure will be the one extending through the fest, yeah. plus whatever you announce next week. So any suggestions for what we kind of maybe want to do as a challenge game at the fest? Just uh, yeah. Well, I'll know. mention uh, once again, uh, Boat and Aaron are doing their live show on Saturday right before our seminar. Um, are doing Whirlybird Run, and they will be taking uh, open mic reviews at the end of the show, kind of like they did at Bofets last year after the Coco show was recorded. So if anybody wants to pop up and do that, they can even try playing it, you know, before the, the show ends, just to try it out and see what it's like. I don't know what Coco Games Tim and AJ have plans for. Do you know, Ken? I, or Not something? a clue. Okay. I haven't heard, but they're bound to have something. I know they're bringing the big Dino Wars poster, so if you want to get your photo taken next to Dino Wars, uh, this will be your chance. Only $5. <laughs> that's what used to be a dollar yeah that's worth it dinosaurs is awesome covid inflation it happens okay right, that's oh. that's is that it for the uh game on stuff that is it for now yep okay sorry mark you were saying uh breaker right into news um, if you do a break now, I can just rattle the game news right into the regular news and get the whole thing done in one shot. Okay. And then I can get more coffee. Here we go. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Aaron of The Coco Show. And you're watching or listening to The Coco Nation, the live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its cousins. All hail The Coco Nation. Om. 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 In a world where RGB produces black and white video, 
one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Gogo3scartcable.com Today from the land down under, where toilets flush backwards and thongs are a respectable form of casual footwear. I am Nick Morentes and I have been developing games for the Coco for over 35 years. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the interactive live video talk show for all enthusiasts of the Coco family of computers. souls enter, only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter, stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. Tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. When you want the latest in TRS 80, Handy, Dragon, MC 10, and all of their hardware cousins. No matter what it takes. Or where news breaks. From around the world. To your nation. The Coco Nation News. With L. Curtis Boyle. Yeah, that was a picture of me live doing a 512k upgrade just snipping capacitors so <laughs> enjoy <laughs> okay so first up since we just talked about uh, one of the two game on challenge games this past week and the upcoming couple of weeks or uh, upcoming week i should say is ken now he has this one video he called one game two computers so he did eric's and he shows the atari 400 800 version as well as the coco version um and he kind of gives it his review of it at the end um but if you want to kind of just briefly discuss this, uh, for example, does the Atari version use keyboard controls or joystick, or does it have an option it's, for both? Uh, joystick control. I never actually tried to see if you could get a keyboard control, but um, yeah. I mean, it, uh, it controlled nicely with the Atari joystick, the Atari digital joystick. So, yeah, and I want to show this here because this is part of that ad I was talking about earlier where they did the big full page, full color ad rainbow. Yeah. Um, 
with Eric's and Airline, both ported by Roger Schrag, who's also the guy who did the Edtasm Plus patches to run from disk if you assembly language programs. Remember that from back in the day? The super patched patch. Yeah. Yeah, same guy. So that's uh, the advertiser. I'm not sure why it got such crappy quality. I noticed that some of the scans of Rainbow on the archive, there's multiple versions of them, and some of them are missing pages if it's the yeah. OCR one, and the other ones that are just the raw graphics actually have all the pages. So it's this is weird. the only this is the only copy of this ad I could find that it was even semi readable. Oh, really? I should I, rescan other, it for you. Sorry. Yeah, I did find uh, another one, but I mean, it just was white blocks rather than words. Okay. And this is early on. So this is like the Model 1 and 3 version came out first. And then the uh, Coco and Atari were basically simultaneously released or pretty close to it. As you can read plainly here on the bottom, it tells you exactly which ones are available. But later on, it came out for a couple other platforms too, didn't it, from what you said? Yeah, the Apple II, the C64, and um, DOS. And here you're mentioning the fact that it's made by Venture International. Yeah, that was my only Scott Adams actual box game that I own. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, Eric's as far as seeing it is is quite rare. I've I'd never seen the manual before. I found the Atari one on the archive, the Internet Archive. There's the and model the, one and three. Versions. These are the model one and three uh, versions. The screenshots I could find. So it's okay, actually where game. did you find those out of curiosity? Because obviously they have the game. Ah, uh, some somebody did a review of it on some website somewhere. Let me just because I'd like to get here. Nick's taken if he gets a chance to try it, see what he thinks. Um, Matthew reads trs80.org blog. Matthew what? Matthew Reed. The guy's name is Matthew Reed. Oh, Matthew Reed, Reed yeah. Oh, okay. Matthew of... Reed's TRS-80 blog. Okay. So, yeah, this is... Then I, I basically just went through. I played the uh, Coco version just to show it. And then I played the um, Atari 800 version to show. And then I compared the two. Yeah, and there, there was, I mean, obviously there's that whole, you know, practice mode which you can never win was different. <laughs> yeah. Now, the music, I think this one actually had background music on the Atari version, didn't it? Yeah. So the uh, Coco version just kind of has the background music on the title screen and when you die. Yeah, or if you get a high score, you get or a different get, one. Yeah. So it's just got background music in places. The Atari version has background music throughout, but obviously it's a more capable music music producer than the uh, Coco, so. Okay. Well, I'm going to switch here because I just pulled it up. The uh, actual Coco version of the box, etc. I just downloaded it back off the archive because I couldn't find my local copy for some stupid reason. <laughs> <laughs> so is that is that coming through? Yep. Yep. So this is actually the Tier City Color Computer version on tape. Thirty four ninety five. Yeah, it was wasn't cheap. I mean, Adventure International was pretty big, and I mean, obviously they made better than the little doggy bags with the uh, Xerox paper, like most yeah. Coco people did. Mm -hmm. This is full color, snap open case. Here's the spine. 
which lists uh, Tier City both tape and disc versions of it. That's what I the use actual for my manual. dramatic reading. What's that? This is what I use for my dramatic reading. Oh, was it? <laughs> and here you can see the actual TRCC, as they called it, uh, tape for it. And then this is just an extra one thrown in. It has nothing to do with it, but it's by International. I did like the fact they got this from International Software, which is a company in Victoria, B.C., that actually made some of their own games later on, but they did a lot of redistribution for people. So I don't know if I, if I can figure out who owned that thing. I should get Ken to go visit them and see if they can come on the show to talk about it. Because out on Vancouver, not Island. too far from you there. No, nope. just a short ferry ride. Well, yeah, for the color computer. What does the Atari one yeah. uh, look like? So here's the part that's actually readable. Oh, you didn't, you didn't <laughs> see the Atari one yet. No, you didn't. Oh, show the, guy, the, video the game. Okay, I'll, I'll fast forward to it, but I'll just show this back here. <laughs> so it mentions it's like machine language. So basically, Nick hasn't players. watched my video yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, he doesn't watch <laughs> any of our stuff. He hates all of us. Um, That's right. You have a channel. We, we're too substandard for him. <laughs> <laughs> it says average completion time five minutes. So I don't know if that means there's actually an end to the game, or does that mean that you're? I think at that's best just how last long you normally last in the game. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of figuring. And age ten to adult arcade. Yes, it has sound. <laughs> Special equipment, optional joystick on the model one, three, and four, and Tier City computer version. So it's kind of hinting there's a keyboard version. I haven't played that. If there is, don't even know how to get into it. But very professionally packaged. I mean, this is the type of stuff you'd see from maybe Tandy. Uh, you would never see this from most third-party manufacturers. I think the fanciest ones I used to see would be some of the later Mark Data or Computer Slack slash, slash Mitchtron, which used to do the full-color cardboard printouts of the cover, but everything else is just plain black and white text. So that's what you get when you're making money selling to multiple platforms at once, I guess. So let me switch back. So this hey, is guys, the Atari version right that's here. That's the Atari, yeah. So you get the I like the fact that they, they made the blocks here to spell the name, and if you didn't know what you're looking at, you'd have no idea what that blob of stuff is supposed to be the name. So yeah, you can choose between one player on the arena or the dungeon, or two players on either. Now, does it not have a full high score table? It just has the last high score for each level? It's got the high score for each level, and then uh, the last score for each level. But no top 10 lists like the code. No top 10 lists, no. Okay, that's odd. So this is the arena that... um, There we go. And it does the opposite on the uh, amount of stuff you have to get left, because the Coco builds up the line as you fill in stuff, and this one... No, uh, Coco does the dropping the line. Oh, does it? I thought it did the other way around. Okay. Never mind. But this one gives you fancy arrows. But you're going to see here why you can't beat it. And you still have one little <laughs> sliver so left to do. Stupid. And you can't go any further. That's got to be a problem with the crack copy. I can't see them making that on purpose. I just can't. Yeah, that's a bit obvious. But basically, if you sit in one spot too long, you don't move this, your your trail fills in and eventually or speeds up a, and kills um, you. Or it's done um, uh, on purpose. Right? It checks to see if it, it is a, a pirate copy and actually gives you this. this oh, maybe. Sort of, I never uh, thought of that. They did used to yeah. do that kind of thing. 
Yeah, sweet. Little, little you get a little devil there. head when you die. And the graphics are quite a bit different, actually. Like we just we yeah. basically modeled ours on the Tier C model one three, which of course is a bit restricted in the graphics, with just you know plain square shapes and little missiles and stuff. But this actually went like you know semi rotating devil heads and stuff like that. So the graphics actually look pretty good. Um, the sound, obviously, the music's better. How about the sound effects, Ken? What did you think of those? I would versions? say they're on par because I think the uh, color computer has pretty good sound effects, and this one has pretty much on par sound effects. Okay. But controls, I think, is where I think the Coco probably would shine a bit better on this one. Did you think or no? Um, or about the same? Actually, I kind of liked having the um, digital joystick for doing this, but the thing I didn't like about the Atari version is it just spawns the bad guys so fast. It because It's almost impossible to beat the levels because by the time you get over to the other side of the level, you've got like nine bad guys trying to kill you. Okay. I also got to give you props. You spelled color right on your video here. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Nick will attest to. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. And I do, I do say in the video that I actually felt that the um, better graphics on the Atari worked against it. Because you kind of expected more from the game with the better graphics. Okay. Yeah, because even the, like the spacing, the speed here seems to be very similar. Yeah. Like it's uh, like sometimes you get the ports and they're just like one's playing three times faster than the other one type thing. And this actually looks like they kept it pretty good. I'm assuming the model one, three versions is the same. So yeah, all in all, I would say they're they're both pretty comparable. Then comparable, pretty comparable overall. Yeah. And did you say that Arex is uh, um, mainly in basic with machine language? Nope, straight ML. No, it is ML, right? Yeah, yeah. The sound effects you can tell it's ML because it's just not yeah. little bips and boops. And even even the single voice music interludes they do is a, a smoothed waveform. It's not the garish sixty hertz thing that the Tandy Play Command yeah. does. Actually, uh, that's a good idea, Sleepy, and you came up with uh, when we have some of these cross platform games, having some of the people experience on other platforms show up during the game on challenge and actually show us and kind of talk about what the controls are like, et cetera, on some of these other versions here would be kind of interesting. Um, I've seen some other comparison videos. We've covered them before, like stuff like Pit Stop 2 or whatever, but Canyon Climber, etc. It'd be interesting to, to do that, I think, as part of the show. Now we have to go back and do all the other ones we've covered that are cross-platform again. There we go. <laughs> well, this video got a fairly good uh, response, so I plan on doing some more comparing, and it'll probably be normally uh, Coco games compared to other versions yeah, now you're going to be doing it strictly based on ones that actually were officially the same game, or are you going to do like clones? Um, I haven't decided. Same game would be better. Same yeah, game would that's be better. I'm thinking. Same game. There's, there's quite a few, I think. And we can also do the uh, past games. Uh, that's easy because that's why we have an intern in the game on challenge. We can have him do it. <laughs> yeah, because I even started a clone index. You know, here of arcade yeah. games and stuff, and 
And this is the cross platform or the official ones. And then here's the cross platform, which is way behind. <laughs> but uh, I was trying to do roughly the same thing. I even have Radware where I mentioned it's also available in the Amstrad Apple II C64 DOS spectrum. Anyway, the reason my page is actually in here is that uh, while going through stuff for Chronological Gaming and my own timeline uh, page, I went through a whole bunch of discs. Like I've got literally, I don't know, seven, eight hundred, five and a quarter inch discs plus another three, four hundred, three and a halfs of Cocoa stuff. And I mentioned before that Harvey Broffman, the author of Starfire, uh, Dunkey Monkey, which we covered on the Game on Challenge recently, co-author of uh, Screen 64. And I think he was a guy kind of in charge of Intellectronics had sent me a bunch of discs years ago um, and given permission for his stuff to be freely available for everybody. There's no copyright issues to worry about. And he'd sent me a whole bunch of discs that I'd taken quick glances of, but I was just looking for the executables of anything new that we hadn't had yet. So this time I was going through everything with a more fine-tooth comb and discovered he had some um, uh, backed-up games uh, from other authors, <laughs> some of his discs. And... Uh, a couple of the ones he'd gotten that I hadn't even realized I'd had, I thought were lost forever. <laughs> so part of the thing is that Bryza and I both have been trying to find every single game ever written on the Coco and, uh, you know, archive it somewhere so that people can, you know, see the entire history. And that's what chronological game is kind of going through on multi-platforms. And there's a couple of 4k games from 1981, which is the first year third party games started showing up at all. And there's not very many 4k machine language games that were released commercially for the Coco. I could count, I think I've known about five or six, maybe. Um, and I only had one of them up to this point, and that was uh, Color Scarf Fan, which is a, a 64 by 64 by four color game that fit on 4K running cassette. And lo and behold, he happened on one of his discs, he had two of the other ones that are missing, which I got to add to my site. Uh, so that filled in some 1981, but also filled in some of this really, really early stuff. Uh, the two games are Gauntlet by Brit Monk, and this was one that it was actually he sold directly himself. You can find ads for it in CCN and Rainbow from way, way back. And then he eventually, uh, Avalon Hill, after they got his 3D Breakthrough game, which we have not played on the challenge yet, so far as I know, um, that one got picked up by Avalon Hill, and then Avalon Hill ended up reselling Gauntlet later. And uh, this has nothing to do with the game, arcade game Gauntlet. This came out years before the arcade game Gauntlet, so it's totally different gameplay. It's actually a space game. And the other one is Space Intruders, which um, Nick stole the name of for his version uh, seven years later. <laughs> I don't think he knew it existed. I proved it. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> but it's a 4K Space Invader Galaxian kind of hybrid thing. And uh, that was a real challenge, I think, because with, with 4K, I mean, the screen, a text screen takes half a K. Basic takes a K before that. So you're left with basically maximum two and a quarter, two and a half K of code. And your graphics and your sound data, et cetera. So the games actually play surprisingly good. Radio Shack got the cheat. If they sold the game that ran on a 4K Coco, it was on cartridge. So the program itself was not in the lower 4K of RAM. It was up in a ROM somewhere, which could be 2, 4, 8K itself. They just had to make sure the graphics and the variables stuck in the 4K RAM area. So I was quite happy to see these. I'd never thought I'd see them. I thought they were lost forever. <laughs> For those of you who don't watch my games page too much, I thought I'd just quickly show the two that I was quite surprised to find. So Gauntlet and Space Intruders will go to G first. Now, I sent these to you, Ken, 
and I think Nick, I showed them to you a little bit. I don't know if you had a chance yeah. to play them, but I'm just wondering what, if you guys have played it, what, or just from looking at the screenshots, or what did you, what did you guys think of these for 4K RAM games? So, Nick, you've actually written a 4K game for Alan Huffman's little challenge, but that was a basic. That was in ba- color basic, yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's uh, when you consider the, the when it came out, it would have been a very early game, uh, as you say, for a 4K. Uh, I assume even a color basic um, system, and it's the guy's probably first. I think you said it was the guy's first. Um, yeah, for Brady, it was his second. He did a, a breakaway game. I've still not found. He did a bust out style game a little bit before this one, but same thing, 4K off cassette. And then for Charles Forsyth, who did, he later did like Pack Droids and Ninja Warrior and stuff. Um, but his version, which uh, or his Space Intruders game, which we'll show shortly here is one that uh, was, I believe, his very first ML game on the Coco period. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty good for the time, yeah. Yeah. Like this one here, when I was going back through old magazine ads, it was first advertised in August of 1981, and he published it under his own name, same as he did originally with 3D Breakthrough. And then Avalon Hill, they announced in Rainbow in May of 1982, Rainbow announced that Brit would no longer be selling Gauntlet himself, he's pulling it off, because Avalon Hill had agreed to uh, remarketed itself. And then Color Computer Magazine in 1983 actually did a review of it with a photo. And I think I sent that to you, Ken, um, in case that game ever comes up that you have a review already ready to go. Yep. <clears throat> yep. I haven't had a chance to try it yet, but. So for those uh, looking at the screen here, though, and for the audio listeners, I'll try to explain it. So basically, it's it's in low res graphics. It's a standard 64 by 32 set reset graphics, except on an ML. So basically, you've got a little ship here that you're steering back and forth, and you have to shoot the purple aliens. And when you hit them, they turn into debris, which can still kill you. So you can keep shooting at them to wipe them completely out. You've got a timer that counts from 10,000 down to zero, and the game ends once you've completed that. Um, You only have one ship, so as soon as you die, the game's over. And then your flight evaluation, you can see the screenshot here. I got a flight evaluation of poor (laughs) when I made it all the way through. But if you just die, it just comes. Your pilot evaluation is dead. (laughs) Because <laughs> you didn't make it through. <laughs> and then you've also got asteroids. And there's a couple different sizes of them that you can also blow up or try to fly around. Um, they're not worth any points. You do get a point for every timer thing. Or not every timer, but you know, based on how long you last, basically. How much space you've traveled through. So the joystick up and down controls your speed. So you can pull it all the way down to the bottom. And you actually go fairly slow. And you don't get that many points for flying. But if you crank up the speed, then you get more points. So you can increase your score. Uh, by flying as fast as possible without hitting any of the asteroids or the aliens, or you get points for shooting the aliens. You, but you've got a timer working against you. You've got only 100 missiles to shoot. So once you've finished all well, 100 of them, you're basically defenseless except for flying. So it's it's fairly complicated. The sound effects are pretty decent. It's even got some background sound effects as the game's playing running at the same time. So pretty interesting little game. And then if we go to Space Intruders, which, Nick, you had never even heard of this, that there was a previous Space Intruders no. on the Coco, right? Well, Adventure International, because it um, did actually officially release uh, a part of their product line, a Space Invaders called Space Intruders. But I only ever saw the TRS-80 Model 1 version. And that was a very good version. Um, but I never Yeah, that was like 16K they... required, I remember, because they were hyping up the ad. And they actually they mentioned yeah. the color one, and they said, color version is reduced basically, because we had to fit in 4K yeah, as yeah. we were shooting for. Yeah, that's right, for 4K. So, yeah, this would be uh, what Adventure International was selling as their official 
Space Intruders uh, product line. But yeah. I never I never saw the color computer version. Yeah, I've it, seen the ads it, for it in old 1981 catalogs, but I'd never it has no screenshots, no description. I I think I might have found one review from late 81 or something, but basically I've never nobody had put a screenshot. But I didn't have a clue what the game looked like. Yeah, I mean it's not it's only a little 4K game, so it's not a brilliant Space Invaders, but it, it is brilliant for what it is, you know, 4K uh very early uh Coco game. It's it's pretty good. Yeah. I would have been it's happy colorful. to get this back in 4K. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean the, the good thing that I liked about it is it's in color. I mean, all the <laughs> other space invaders back then were in that. It's not even using artifacting, so you can actually see it. No, it's actually color. It's low res, but it's color on a yeah. color computer. Now, if you had a 4K Coco, and I remember this because when I got my first 4K Coco, which would have been September of 81. I couldn't afford joysticks. I finally got those for Christmas. I couldn't afford a cassette recorder. I think I got that around February after saving up from paper route money. So basically, I had no way to do anything on it, really. But this game here actually doesn't even need a joystick. So if you just had a 4K Coke and a cassette cable, you could hook up to a cassette player. That was enough to get this game running. And it's completely keyboard controlled. And you basically it's just left, right, and fire. You're allowed one shot on the screen at a time. You can see your formation of aliens, and they don't animate themselves they just move back and forth now if you kill off a vertical column they'll keep going up to the edge of the screen so you can actually kind of shift around how they work but i'm so like really space in- good yeah it's not really a space invaders it's more of a galaxian i think yeah or well a, they advertise it as a space invaders um yeah well, this space intruders uh was meant to be a space invaders game that's what it is on a model one on a tirasadi but this yeah, and for one, the yeah, most part, that really... is true because you're you you're because you can't have multiple aliens that hold up until later levels anyway. Um, you only have one alien dive bombing you ever at a time. Yeah. Um, so basically, you're just shooting columns of invaders moving left, right, left, right, left, right. So it's kind of space invadery that way. So I kind of see why they did it. Yeah, but they just yeah. had it so that one alien will break formation. Now, when all the aliens when they start are that red and white you can see, and they're only worth one point if they're in formation. Um, if one of them dive bombs out, it changes to a blue and yellow one, and it can shoot at you. But it's just the one that gets released until you kill it. And those are worth five points, so you definitely have the greed of the player going after the moving ones. And it's pretty easy to get hit. Now, if you last enough waves, and I didn't get a chance to count, it's quite a few. It's probably between five and ten or something. Um, then you start getting two dive bombing you, like I showed in the screenshot on the little right there. And obviously, he meant for people to play this game ad infinitum here, because you can see how many zeros are reserved for the score. It's like in the billions or something like that. And considering you only get one or five points per kill, I mean, that's going to take you all. Um, but Forever. like like Gauntlet, it has pretty decent sound effects. Um, gameplay is actually quite fun. It's it's limited, but it's quite fun. I, I would have been glad that, to get these. Go ahead. It's a game that could be done on an MC10 as well. Yeah, exactly. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. Both of these could be ported to the MC10 and even run in 4K. Now, I don't know how many active MC10 machine language programmers we have, because the sound would be the one thing that would be you'd have to do some work at. But they have explosion sounds and you know laser firing sounds. It's not just you know the play command or the sound command. It's actual sound effects. So they're they're quite yeah, good. You haven't got a uh, emulator running so you can show it. No. No, I mean I, maybe I could bring it up a little bit later. Um, later, yeah. But. Uh, it's it. The, both games are quite good for 4K. I was quite impressed. 
Um, and the fact that they both came out in 81, less than a year after the Coco's release. Yeah, that's pretty good for the time, yeah. You know, people are just learning the 689, just learning the VG, especially just learning the SAM, because that was a brand new chip in the Coco. It never existed before. Um, they would, you know, people had to learn quite a bit to get this going here. And this is the you know first effort for Charles Forsyth to do anything machine language on the Coco. And it was Brit Monk's second, with the first one being just a standard breakout game. I would have been quite proud to get these for 4K games back at, at this time period in 81. Yeah, I would have been yeah back then. And Scarfman, too. And then there's obviously the other breakaway, the bust out that I haven't seen. The only other one I can think of is Spectral Associates had a 4K low-res uh, color out uh, that also came out in 81 that was machine language. And they they knew it was like a low-end one, so they only sold it for like 10 bucks. But I will mention, if you want to run these either on the emulator or on a real Coco, because they're hard-coded for cassette, because that's all the RAM you had, um, you will need to use a preloader. Or I think William is actually... He's updated the versions I set, uploaded to him to put on the archive where he's actually built ROMEL into it. So it'll actually auto-execute the game on that disk with a chip to actually run ROMEL and type in the name of the game then, etc. But you will need some sort of loader that shuts disk basic off after it loads, basically, to get it to work. And actually load it outside. So the other way to do it would be to convert it to a cassette file or a WAV file or something and actually load it on a real Cocoa with, uh, with the disk controller plugged in. Then it'll work on any you know, 4, 16, 32, 64K Cocoa. But but for those of you that collect Cocos and have a 4K Cocoa that you don't want to open up because they're pretty rare to find intact with just 4K these days, and you actually want to use it for something, here you go. There's a couple of games that uh, will run perfectly fine on it. So big thank you to Harvey Broffman for years ago sending me his discs. I didn't even know those gems were on there. Or I would have put them up on my site a lot earlier than this. And then uh, this week, our interview guest from last week, uh, Jeff at Chronologically Gaming. He's approaching the end of 1981. He's now in the T Games. And, uh, and these are the T Games with no official release dates. So he's gone to the chronological ones that he knew about release dates. Now he's doing the cleanup run. And I threw these last two games we just talked about, Adam. So he's got to add those now, too. So I'm giving, I'm trying to delay him as much as I can because with the fest coming up, I'm not going to have time to clean up my 1982 stuff in time. So. Uh, the one Coco game he covered this week was actually Trek Adventure, which is another one I discovered I had recently I didn't know I had. And this is an early Aardvark game. Um, I'll, I'll play it with the, the audio off just can kind of see it. It's just a standard text adventure game. The thing that's a bit more unique about this one is that the author, Bob Bertell, in one of the Aardvark catalogs actually talks about how he actually bought one of the books complete, you know, being a map of the Enterprise, and he actually based the locations on the actual Enterprise map, not just kind of making up as he went along. And the other thing is that um, this is right around the time period, 1981, where Paramount started figuring out that Star Trek was actually a franchise that could make money. Because up until this point, you know, there was a ton of Star Trek simulator text-based ones in the late 70s on the Pet and the Apple and Tier City Model 1.3. And even you know mainframes and minis had tons of these standard ones that people would uh, play. And never went after them for using like the name Spock or Kirk or Star Trek. Like they basically let them go alone and not worry about getting sued. Around 81 to 82, and this is why I think Venture National did Star Trek 3, which was a 32K game they released at the end of 1981. Uh, they actually officially licensed it. And I think at the time, they were one of the few that did. And Trek Adventure, when they first started selling it in May of 81, would have been you know, in the gray area where Paramount didn't really care. But by the time it later came out and, and Star Trek three came out and then the Star Trek two movie was being made, 
I think Paramount started figuring, no, we're going to get some licensing out of these guys. We're not going to let them keep using the the names of the characters and the name of the ship. And I think that's why I'm speculating. I don't know for sure, but I think that's why out of all the Aardvark games, text adventure games I've played or on my site, all of them have title screens and usually have credits of who wrote it. This is neither. It doesn't mention the name of the game. It doesn't mention the copyright date. It doesn't mention it was written by Bob Rattel. It does mention that in their catalog. Um, but I think this is because they didn't want to get sued. So if it happened to float out and Paramount saw it, if it had no credits, there's no remark statements or REMS in the program either that mentioned it. I think it was kind of trying to cover their asses a little bit because they sold it for a while when it was still free and easy to do and Paramount wouldn't complain. But by the end of 81, I think Paramount was starting to hammer down, bring the hammer down. And I think that's uh, why none of the credits are actually in the game. But it's actually a pretty, pretty decent little text adventure game. And this is a cross-platform one, too. I actually found a walkthrough for it on a Commodore 64 site, because the Commodore 64 version of this came out two years later in 1983. So if you guys want to play it and you get stuck, you can actually go on to the Commodore uh, Adventure Game site, and it'll give you a complete walkthrough. It's the exact same game, otherwise. So another bit of cool history there I found from Harvey Brockman's disc. Thank you very much, Harvey. Step. So, well, he did a lot of grand stuff in the past few years. He's changed the name of the page a few times. <laughs> but um, he did one we covered last week, one game, a letter, where he stopped mostly through the alphabet, but not quite completely through. Now he's kind of changing it up. Now, every other time he's done this over the last few years, he's done very quick videos. He's done like a quick one minute here, two minute there of a game. Then he wipes his page clean and starts over again. And I'm not quite sure why he does that. But now he's doing long play videos. So he actually played a few games here. So he played Screaming Ab Dabs. Rommel 3D, which is the Coco version for Mitchtron, Force the Bold and Time Bandit, and he's actually he's pretty good at some of these. Like uh, I watched Time Bandit, he was getting scores like 55, 56,000 points, and he'd gone through he cycled the time gates all the way from 1A to 4D and back to 1A again, so he's actually getting pretty good gameplay out of it. So if you guys want to check some long play and kind of see a bit more of the game than he's normally famous for doing, uh, that seems to be his new direction. I'm going to keep following that because some of these games he's better at than I am. So he's showing me some stuff I haven't seen before. Next up after that. Um, is Long Play Kingdom. This is a page I've not heard about on YouTube before. And they put up a gameplay video of Bricks on the MC-10. And it mentions here on the title screen. It's by Jim Gary, of course. Um, but Steve Ostrom, who's actually was active in the Coco community for years and years after that, he originally did this one in 1982. In fact, he used to be very active on the, on the Fidonet, uh, echoes too about the Coco. I remember I talked back and forth with him. I think I, he's been even been down to some of the fests and stuff. Um, but he actually does a, a gameplay of this one here. So I'll play a little bit of that. The uh, square letter O's is uh, which Coco? Uh, MC10. So that's a 6847. Is that the T1 uh, in there? I don't know. No, because there's no slash zero. So it must be a slightly modified, different than the Coco masked ROM for the character set. Mm. Or it could be the emulator. It's just weird. I'm not sure. Maybe the emulator, yeah. All right. Standard bust out game, but. But after that, I was uh, worried that Jim Gary wouldn't have anything for us to look at because I looked last night and there was nothing new from him in the week. And I checked this morning and there's four videos up now. So there's four different games reported. <laughs> he just saved them all up. 
Yeah, that was a close one. <laughs> yeah. Got him in just under the wire. <laughs> and he's got some pretty cool historical ones in here, too. So the first one here is called Caves One. It was originally written by Dave Kaufman in 1973. So this is way back. This is pre-micros almost. This is pre-kit, actually, for most cases. Because that's a year before the Amstrad. This would have been more mini and mainframe, probably PDPs and the like. So this one here in particular, um, it's basically an escape from a maze. And it's kind of an interjoined maze. All done in text, of course. But there's uh, some speculation. Some of the people in the local club that Dave Kaufman was part of uh, later on did Hunt the Wumpus, which is a rather famous game. And um, versions of that have been made on every computer on Earth, including the Coco. And there's some speculation that the person was in the same club as Dave is the one who wrote Hump the Wumpus, I think, the next year, 74, maybe 75. And they're speculating that this was the basis, the inspiration for Hunt the Wumpus, which is one of the most famous of the first generation of games for micros out there. Um, the only difference really in here, you're still wandering through a maze, uh, just like Hunt the Wumpus, but you're not trying to kill something, which in that case you are. You're trying to shoot the arrow to kill the Wumpus and you smell a Wumpus first. This one here, you're just literally trying to escape the maze. So it's kind of a, a predecessor to it. It doesn't have the full gameplay as, as Hunt the Wumpus does, but pretty, pretty interesting historically. Next one after that, is Lake Evidence by Charlie Fady? Fady? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. From 1982. And this is a text adventure. And it's ported from the Tiraceti Pocket Computer. Now, which I believe, Ron Delvo, I think you actually have a pocket computer, don't you? No, I don't have a pocket computer. I used to have one, but not anymore. Oh, okay. It, it broke. The You know, the screen went liquid. The LCD screen? Yeah. So I did know that those computers had games and a text adventure is perfect. You just have to read it one line at a time. Um, so basically, this is a port from a, an actual Tier City Pocket Computer game. Uh, he, Jim mentioned in his comments on this one that he says it's, it's extremely hard adventure game. So I don't know if that means the puzzles don't make sense or the, the the parsing for your verbs and nouns is very restrictive because I know there wasn't a ton of RAM on the Pocket Computer. Pocket Computer 2 had a fair bit, I think. Back the, in the uh, day, I had one of these and I wrote games for it. And it was not actually a map. It was random because I didn't have room to store a map. So <laughs> that might have been kind of what they're getting into here. Yeah. And just the way the text is being presented, it's like it says, you are in, in one line, a big yeah, washed I mean, out tavern. I think yeah. it's to fit that. Was it 26 character display it had or something? It was It was as wide as you see, but one line. So you had to key the next line, tap for the next line, tap for the next line. But yeah. But it was also so very limited that there was no room to really keep a string array for a map or something. You put yeah, all the RAM into text and words and just randomly faked it. Yeah. I think that, if I remember correctly, the Pocket Computer 2 had more RAM, or at least that add-on you could put on I think it could get up to 16K or something insane, wasn't it? Could be. I never could afford that. <laughs> <laughs> and Ron, which one did you have? The one, the two? I think they even sold the three and a four later on. So which I'm sorry, I was which which pocket computer do you have? The one, two, three, oh, I or had the four? The four, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um which one came with uh printer? Well, you could all plug them into a little adapter yeah. thing that had a printer. Yeah. This one had a printer. It's pretty cool. Because remember the, the PC2, I actually remember I fiddled with it Radio Shack. If I remember correctly, it had, it had an expansion interface that would get up to 16K. 
It had a graphics mode. You could actually, instead of just having text characters on your screen, you could actually program the individual pixels. And I think it was 156 by 7 or 8 or something like that, Res. And I thought, you could make a tiny defender on that. <laughs> um, okay. But with 16K on one of those add-on things, I mean, then you could write a decent adventure because a lot of the, you know, Tier City Model 1 and Coco games, the text adventure games in basic were 16K. So you could fit a full one. But if this was done for the original Pocket Computer 1, which only had like 1 or 2K, I think, that that would be pretty impressive. Like you were saying, Rick, you'd have to come up with some pretty innovative ways to generate maps and stuff. It was all in the, the text parser. The map was superfluous. Do you remember? But it looked like a game. Everyone thought it was really cool at the time because, hey, I'm playing an adventure game on this little calculator. Do you remember yeah. uh, uh, having them on for a while and it get kind of warm? Oh, very warm. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like a two mega or one mega upgrade in a cocoa. <laughs> then his third one here is called Dungeons and Dragons. This was originally by Peter Trafonis in 1980, and he said it's an odd mixture of a text adventure and an RPG. Um, so here you kind of get you know description of the game. There it actually asks you for your name, which a lot of text adventures did not bother doing, and then your god's name. That's kind of weird. I guess it's kind of D&D-ish, though. And then you start you know, building your character, which he spent a lot of time doing, so I'll skip ahead. Buying stuff and, you know, outfitting your person here. And here you actually start the game. So it highlights the current room you're in, the short description in inverse, so it's kind of easy to spot. And when you get to a new room, it does another one inverse. It's really easy to tell where you change rooms. And then it has a more, you know, elaborate description. And then it also tells you what, what's in the room and what you want to attack and et cetera. So it's very D&D-ish. It has armor classes and hit points and all that kind of stuff, too. Um, but actually, it looks it looks like a fun little game if, if, if you were into this kind of a genre. And it definitely is, gives a flavor of Dungeons & Dragons. And then the last one he did here is called Dragon Dungeon by Peter Good in 1984. And this one is... More a straight, simple text-based RPG, not so much the text adventure elements, more just the RPG. And basically, you want to try to fight your way out from the third level of a dungeon. You'll meet 21 different types of monsters, more horrible than all, and a dragon capable of inflicting fatal wounds. Can you make your way out? And then you get to pick a maze number, so I don't know if these are fixed mazes or some sort of randomized thing. But when you're doing the fighting and stuff, you're not typing in like full text adventure, you know, you know, kill monster with axe or whatever. You're actually just typing a single key. And there's a menu of what you can do on a particular screen. Some of them are fighting screens. So you get a lot of fighting type selections you can make from otherwise or when you're moving around or exploring. Like in this case, you can see look, pause, teleport. So a bit of a different take on the, that type of a game. So that was Jim's big surprise for me this morning. Four, four radios in a row, which I... Normally, I don't check in the morning. I usually get this all done Friday night. And then the last one here is from Davies Retro Corner on YouTube. And he's actually David Mitchell on Facebook. Um, so he did a quick gameplay video here showing Breakthrough, which is a brick, brickout type game that was ported from the Dragon to the MC-10. And the original Dragon was from March of 1984 by Gary Saunders. So any dragon people in the audience, you may recognize this one if you type that one in. So it's a side-playing one instead of a vertical. And the ball seems to go right through things pretty easily, which is a little bit different. Normally it kind of bounces around there. 
outside of there and you have to kind of break through it, you know, bit by bit rather than zipping right through it. Reminds me of um, Stuart Orchard's uh, uh, Arkanoid style game because he has one of the power-ups as a ball like this where it just plows right through everything until it you know wears out. Um, bulldozer. I don't know hey, that. Yeah. Was there ever a speed up hook for uh MC ten? I don't, don't think so. Hear of anything? No. I, I I never had one, but uh, does anybody else in the panel know? I don't think so though. No. Hmm. Yeah, I think your only option would be to use like Greg Dion's uh, basic compiler. Hmm. So anyway, that's uh, the game on news. So let's just switch straight over to the regular news. Which is here. Guys, you guys seen that handsome fellow with the screen? Well, it's not you, so it must be. Uh... <laughs> I actually just watched this last night. I was going to send you a link in case you missed it. <laughs> in... Go ahead, Rick. Nothing. nothing. Oh, okay. So this is uh, Bob. Uh, his channel on YouTube is called Lococo Strangiata, which is a play on the song by Rush. And uh, he actually has MIDI versions of the Rush songs playing in the background. And Rush is one of those, you know, we're Canadians, we're friendly. We don't sue everybody for using our music type thing, so they just kind of let it go. I wish more people would do that. Um, but this one is a posted video here about using a SCAR to HDMI converter, like the ones that Jason sells. But, uh, you know, being a hardware guy, he's got to build his own cables, right? So he's uh, basically got the converter box and he goes through that. And he actually goes through, as part of the title of it, he says, Scarred in the color computer or how not to make a cable. Because he, of course, you know, just doing it on his own, had a few problems <laughs> as he was going through. But it kind of shows it running, you know, with composite, with RGB, um, composite colors, etc. So it's a good review of the of the whole SCART to uh, HDMI system, um, which is duplicated by, and he even mentions uh, Jason's product by name, saying if you're not into doing your own soldering stuff and you just want to get it to work, you know, go go through Jason. But he's one of those, you know, do-it-yourselfers. I'm not, so I bought one from Jason. Um, and he's actually going to be at the show. And he's actually, we showed last week, he had that LED thing, which I would definitely would like to explore. If I can get that under program control, I definitely have things I want to do with that. Um, as opposed to just plugging it into a drive or a power supply or something just to make indicate a light, I would rather have something you could poke something to uh, change the light. That would be perfect for me because I definitely have some things I would like to use for. So anyway, if you want to meet Bob and talk about this or his LED project or anything else, he's going to be at the fest, very first one he's ever been to. So look forward to meeting you in person, Bob. Speaking of Coco Fest, we also got a post from John Mark Mobley of Glenside. And this is something we've covered on the show before, right before Fest, because some people are new to going to Cocoa Fest, never been. They go like, what What should I expect? What should I bring? Um, type of thing. And so John actually wrote a little article that he posted here on April 5th, kind of going through that exact thing. Um, and it goes from stuff like, you know, how do I reserve booth space? Well, you can't anymore. It's full. Uh, they're all gone. Um, how do I reserve time to give a presentation? Uh, which I think those are all filled in, too, and have been for quite a long time. But this is, you know, for future use too. you know, the next fest next year. What should I bring? He mentions music instruments for the jam session. I know, I'm sure some people would just wish we wouldn't already, but <laughs> too bad. I'm going to turn it up. <laughs> yep. Marshall stack time now for telling us I that. I won't fit in the Camaro. Sorry. 
Um, he talks about the auctions. You can bring stuff to donate. Um, bring money, of course, to buy stuff. Um, quite a few vendors do not have the ability to take credit cards, etc. Some of them might have like eBay and stuff, but you know, cash is probably the safest. Every vendor will take that, obviously. Um, tells you to bring a camera so you can get pictures of the people, of the demos, of, of presentations, etc. Um, if you have a booth, bring extension cords, power strips, and tape to hold them down. Um, I didn't think about bringing tape. Should we bring tape, Ken? I have duct tape. Yeah. Sure. Well, <laughs> yes, I can gag the singer. Or, or you just gag me talking about Nitro's Nine all the damn time. Yeah, that too. I think Sleepy <laughs> suggested that earlier, didn't he? Oh, just wait until we get everybody into the elevator. <laughs> is 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 David Ladd on that list of hints and tips? As you know, David Ladd, watch out, he's a hugger. I haven't got that far yet. Maybe. <laughs> uh, bring your ideas. So that's that's pretty self-explanatory. Um, Chicago has toll roads, but you can no longer bring some change to drop in toll booth change acceptor basket. Instead, you can pay by plate by signing to get ipass.com or use your GPS and avoid totals altogether, which is the option I usually try to take myself. Um, just because I find it a pain in the ass living in Canada, I have to send money over to that. At least they have for, go ahead. I was going to say, at least they have bypass lanes now. For a while, you bypassed the toll booth, but you ran through the toll booth at full speed. That was a little unnerving. See, in the early days when I went in the late 80s, I didn't even know toll booths existed. We don't have them up where I am. <laughs> I had no idea that it was over there. And then I, I took an exit ramp and found out I didn't have any change left. And there's lines up of cars, you know, building up behind me. And I can't get the stupid arm to go up because I have no more change. So finally, I had to go beg money out of somebody from the car behind me. I just gave him a dollar bill because at that time they only took coins. And it was in one of those unattended ones. So you couldn't give, you know, a dollar bill to a person. And you get changed back, so I end up holding up traffic for how long. I just hate dole booths. Well, luckily, one... luckily, my Easy Pass works in that area also, and a lot yeah. of other places. Yep, hey. don't have those here, so that doesn't help me at all. Well, in state of <laughs> Illinois, I think they have a deal where you can just log in and tell them, "Hey, I've been through your state, and I owe you money." Yeah, that's kind of what the. Uh, I think they're kind of hinting that you can do that, but I'll just avoid them if I can. I find them annoying. Period. Um, an ice scraper for your car, just in case. <laughs> well, you don't have to tell Ken and me that. <laughs> <clears throat> what do you mean you don't have an ice scraper in your car? Right, Ron? You, <laughs> use a tape case if you still got tapes in your car. Actually, a credit card works in a pinch <laughs> or an ATM card on its edge. I wouldn't do a whole friggin' windshield that way, but, you know. Or you could just do the old Canadian tradition of start your car and go back in the house and have a coffee while you wait for it to deep out the windows on its own. I have this cheap. I have faint memories of that. Yeah, when you're back in New York and yeah. Rochester. Mm -hmm. I, I have faint memories of that from two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, another question and answer is Wi-Fi available? Yes. Now, as we've mentioned, um, we're not sure the bandwidth. I was hoping Grant would be able to make it to kind of because I know he's going to discuss that with the hotel. And um, we do have some live shows that are going to be tried, like. Um, being, well, one, we're broadcasting the show floor. I think Glenside itself is handling that. Uh, broadcasting the seminars. And then, you know, we're going to have the uh, Amigos show live. We might try to do our own Coco Nation show live. So you might have three things simultaneously all broadcasting. So what the bandwidth is going to be, I don't know. Um, Next year we it, need it would definitely be enough for emails and stuff if you're just trying to keep in contact with your families if they wondered where you wandered off to. But 
Yeah, as far as streaming stuff. The, we need an offsite aggregator next year so that. Uh, well, that beam antenna that Sleepy's got there, maybe we just beam it out to you know, directly oh, yeah, to cell no, I mean, if, 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 one, if someone just took all the raw footage, got it offsite, and then all the various streams could do what they wanted with it. Uh, yeah, I think some people like the live part, though, because they actually get to talk with some of us, like some oh, people no, set exactly. up chat with some computers and stuff. So having a delay of having to save it and then you know give it to somebody else to put up, would you lose that live interaction, I think. What kind of computers should I bring? They mentioned Coco's, Tandy, Tier City, Radio Shack, and Clones. I know a lot of people bring other stuff, too. Um, like, for example, when OS 9 was hugely popular, people were bringing, like, Sun workstations and all kinds of things. You know, if they had a port of OS 9 to it, it was coming. Um, answer two, anything that runs a Motorola 6 and 9, Attache 6 through 9, Motorola 68K, Zolig Z80, sorry, Z80, Intel 8080, Intel 8008, Intel 4004. Basically, they're just saying bring whatever you want. <laughs> And then they mentioned some of the Coco Fours and you know SWTPCs, which is six eight hundred six eight hundred nine based. Some of the modern stuff like Pies, uh, Coco Pies, etc. Calculator, adding machine, slide rule, and Abacus. I'm not bringing those. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Analog computer, mechanical computers. You better have a big car. That's all I gotta say. Has anyone done a um, a demo of the MM1 OS nine? Not in a few years, because I don't know too many people have them anymore that are storing. Joel Evie has one, but I don't know if he's coming to the show. He's been to it before. And he actually got his up and running because he did some videos on Facebook we saw. I would like to see them again, because I haven't seen them since the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. Just so. I did bring my Tomcat TC9, but that's just a Cocoa in a gussied up case. Um, Would people want to see Nitrosine 6 and 9? Well, of course. Oh, there's more to the question. No. Sorry. Um, driving a teletype machine, <laughs> teleprinter, paper terminal, or silent 700? No, that's too noisy. Current loop. <laughs> they say yes, but I'm saying that's too noisy. But people like to see a plain old telephone bulletin board system in operation using 300 baud. I'm up. To, I'm with you up to 300 baud. No, I don't want to see a 300. 1200 minimum would be my my thing because 300 is just dog slow. Can I arrange for my booth to be next to someone else? Uh, if you signed up early enough, you could, and some of us did. Um, but it's too late now because all the booths are gone. What is the attendance like? Uh, they said 50 to 100 people are likely to attend. 95% of them are male. Um, I think that's a bit outdated. I don't think we've had less than 100 the last few years in a row, have we? Like, well, aside from COVID, of course. Usually around 120, isn't there? Yeah, I think it was around 120 last year. And I think the yeah. last one before COVID was around 120. So I think it's more of the 100 to 125, I, I would I, say. I think we'll be more like 140 this year. What do you think? I would say at least 100. Apparently their male percentage is low as well. Yeah, I mean we've got you know Taylor and Amy and <laughs> well, no, that's about it. Yeah, AJ, AJ will be this year here this year too. David Mrs. Pedraza will um, probably show up at one point. Yep, I heard my name, Linda. What did yeah, you Linda mean? will be there. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, 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 Jim they, Brain bringing his daughter who makes all the cookies because I used to buy those too. I, I think he said that she's busy. busy. She? Doesn't she go into school or something? I yeah, think she's she in college, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, something like that. So, Will there be an opportunity for non-vendors to swap, trade, sell hardware? Um, yeah. Anybody wants to trade anything with anybody can do it. Uh, you can also donate to the auction as a fundraiser for Glenside so they can afford to pay for the hotel for next year's fest. Um, 
How do I get from the airport to the hotel? You can do a rental car, taxi, Uber, or limo. The other option they didn't mention there. Walk. No, I wouldn't do that. We're old people. We'd have heart attacks. But some of us are some of the people in the air and some people that actually know the airport fairly well or have the time to do it. We've actually arranged pickups. So we'll just go, you know, if several people's flights are coming at once, somebody will take their car and just pick up the river people and just bring them straight over. What should I wear? Clothes is definitely not just Oops. optional. Uh, Hawaiian shirt and blue jeans would be fine, which means Ken's more prepared than the rest of us. He's got an entire wardrobe set up for that. Um, a Coco Fest t-shirt and, and wash pants are also fun. What are wash pants? Oh, wash, uh, stone wash, you mean, I think. Yeah. Actually, ironically enough, I have bought clothes. <laughs> I have bought the Coco Fest t-shirt. I don't think I'll be wearing it at the show. Um, I'm going to be wearing stuff, you know, promoting vendors. So like Retro Rewind, Taylor Name or whatever. I'll probably be doing that because, I mean, everybody's at the fest. They know it's there, right? But Ken and I on our trip afterwards are going down to see Taylor and Amy. And then we're going to go see the Vintage Geek uh, Retro Museum that's not open to the public yet, but will be this summer uh, in Knoxville, Tennessee. And we're going to be doing some filming and stuff there, too. And I mean, they might film us for all I know. So I'm going to wear the Coco Fest shirt then. So that if he's recording anything that goes up on his channel, it'll promote the fest. Because um, we're just preaching to the converted if I'm wearing it at the show, right? And if I wear it at the show, I'll probably spill coffee on it. And that's a really expensive coffee. Um, so I don't, I don't want to do that. So I'll probably just wear some you know vendor shirts while I'm at the actual Cocoa Fest. And I'll save the one up for a promotion for the fest itself with people that don't normally go. And then he gives links to the actual show itself here. Um, when should I arrive? I know some people show up like Thursday night. Some people show up Friday. We're showing up Friday afternoon is the general plan right now. Um, when can I set up the table? You can do it basically on Friday evening. We have the room until midnight, it sounds like. Um, or you can do it first thing in the morning on Saturday morning. What are my options for gluten-free food? Uh, Jimmy John's sells a lettuce wrap. So apparently you can only eat one thing. <laughs> and there's also a pizzeria in Schaumburg. Schaumburg, of course, is where the original Rainbow Fest was held. And they mentioned a few other pizza places. Um, how do you know how many people are coming to the catered dinner? You can sign up for the dinner on the Tandy list. And last I heard it was around 60 or something, 60 to 70 or something. Can't remember. I know some people like to go off their little clicks and go to like, you know, restaurants that they particularly like. And I've done that a few times in the past. I much prefer going to the general dinner because then you get to see so many Coco people once when you're not busy manning a booth or busy selling stuff. And you actually get to talk to each other. So I much prefer the the community being together at the dinner. And they have enough variety there. And uh, like if you were ordering stuff there, you could have ordered like a vegan meal or whatever else. So it's not like you're stuck with just one or two things you have to eat. You actually have a bit of a smorg you can choose from. And generally, the food quality from what I've had, you know, every time I've attended the public ones like that has been pretty good. I mean, it's not, not five star or anything, but I don't care. I'm talking to people. That's the reason I'm there. So I would highly recommend the cater dinner. I think it might... Is it too late to order a catered dinner if you haven't already? I know there was a deadline on it, but it might have passed already. I wish Grant was here. Unfortunately, he's being stupid and chasing tornadoes. That are going the uh, other direction. I think his problem today is he uh, uh, forgot the charger for his laptop at the previous hotel. <laughs> oh, it's dead now. <laughs> oh, yeah? How, how did he let you know that if it was dead? Huh? Huh? Because um, it died. It's on Discord. <laughs> I think. Mm -hmm. um, is the Coco Fest in a high crime area? That's something Amigo Aaron's very weird about. He thinks Chicago is just like a free-for-all zone to shoot 
tourists. Oh, right. And no, I've never even seen any of that oh. stuff, except the very first year in 1986 when I went, because we went to a Judas Priest concert afterwards. There we met some shady characters, including a cab ride, a cab driver who actually had his arm in a sling and it was still bloody on the shoulder because he'd been shot by his previous fare. But he was right back to work and ready to drive us back to the hotel. And we went, now that's okay. <laughs> I got to admit, looking out my window last year at the burned up trucks in the salvage yard next door was kind of depressing. But we weren't there. <laughs> Well, Carol is it Freeman is where the banks have their big uh, lock boxes. Right. And yeah, we can uh, march on the so far. <laughs> and then the other question is this a busy air? Busy is a relative term. Downtown Chicago is very busy. I can definitely vouch for that. I've had to drive down there for business meetings. Um, Carol Stream is half or a third as busy. The parking is free. Um, I think it depends on what time, too. So if you can time it to be in a little bit later or really, really early where you're not hitting rush hour traffic, it's actually not bad at all. Even, honestly, downtown Chicago, if you're driving through at 2 in the morning, is is fine. You can boost <laughs> through there. So if I'm passing through Chicago, I usually try to time to hit Chicago at 2 or 3 in the morning. I literally do that because then you can just zip right through. You don't have to get caught up in traffic jams or anything else. It's pretty well a free-for-all. Anyway. There, you can go check out a site that's in the show notes that we'll be posting. So if you didn't catch everything I said here and I didn't read absolutely everything, you can go get some uh, details there, especially if you're new to that, never been to a festival. Or if you've already been a few times, you probably have a rough idea the answers to all these questions as far as you're personally concerned. But uh, for those that are brand new to it. And don't forget to bring David Ladd some Diet Dr. Pepper at his table. I am not. Um, I am providing him with Kit Kats. So. Oh, not you, but uh, in general. <laughs> bring your sacrifice yes let's, let's try to fill david let's try to fill david's uh, table up with diet dr pepper hi <laughs> right, back to regular scheduled news now um john zizolfo now he's he's posted up things lately like how to you know double side a floppy diskette he gives you a template you can print out and then line up, you know, the right protect holes and the index holes and stuff. So he's got a new one here, and I'll just read his little post on Facebook. And you actually get the spreadsheet that I'll be talking about here on Facebook in the Cocoa Group. Um, yet another in my continuing series of modern PC files to use for your Cocoa, this time around, tech screen worksheets. So Tandy printed these in the back of the manuals. And if you have the extended basic manual, the color basic manual, you'll definitely remember these because they had a 32 by 16 to fill in text, just 64 by 32 for low res and up to P mode 4, 26192. Basically graph paper of, of those different resolutions. Um, this once he's done here, cover both the Cocoa 1, 2, and the 3. So it's also covering um, 40 by 24, 80 by 24 high res text, for example. And uh, he's... Then an updated version, he said, I decided to use Excel's features to my advantage. I changed the inner four-way division of the blocks on the 64 by 32 sheet to light gray. That makes it easier to plan out your character strings without miscounting how many blocks this way or how, that way using the wrong code in the wrong position because you're off by one block or half character. And I'll extend that. It's also a good idea because the way those graphics work is that you get a two-by-two two pixel cell that you can only have black and one other color in it. You can't mix like a blue and a cyan in that cell. It has to be just black and cyan or just black and blue. So having this here where it kind of like highlights, this is the actual character position where you do your two by two will let you pick your colors appropriately instead of trying to mix colors in the same cell, which is impossible. Unless you do a lot of wonky tricks with like, you know, timing, changing screens or something between V-Syncs. 
Next up, this is a two-parter. So there's a person here, um, Robson Franca. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that wrong, right or not. Uh, but he did two covers of the William Tell Overture playing from a Coco. Emulator. This first one here through the oscilloscope, and you can actually running which is really are we losing Curtis? We're losing Curtis. Yes, Curtis's oh, oh. bandwidth is going bye bye. A bitch is wrong. <laughs> I, 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 I think his connection just got clogged with some maple syrup. Curtis, you're cutting off really bad, man. It's like he's gone now. Well, play play the outro. <laughs> he said, I, I, I heard what he said. He said, ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah. Ting tang. Walla, 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 bing, bang. bang. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, he's lost a video on him, too. His uh, internet Dude. connection has been severed by a moose. Well, at least his eyes are open, and it looks like he's talking. <laughs> hey, the bright side, he's not snoring. Nope. Um, nope. Nitrous 9. That's one way to shut down uh, his OS9 talk. Well, time for Ron's garage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Just Here we it. go. Okay, take it away, Ron. Not ready. <laughs> Scrambling. <laughs> Show us something, anything. What happens when internet goes down for some of our mm. people? So you mean so this isn't a rehearsal? So, so how about we do another commercial? Yes. Sure. That's a good right. one of those. There we go. Hi, I'm Terry Stegge from Retro Tech Time and the Tandy Shack, and you're watching The Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. From the makers of the Switcheroo. Wallaby Cable, Color Computer 3 Dual RGB Cable. Get yours today at cocoman.biz. In 1988, a scandal rocked the Color Computer community.
Okay, let's see. All right, highlight you, Ron. There you go. Take it away, take it away, take it away. Okay. Oh, it's yours. Yep. No, you see it? Yep. Yep. Okay. I was uh, online with my Coco the other day. Went to this uh, site using uh, Roger Taylor's uh, NetMate and uh, had a lot of fun uh, using ANSI. Get all kinds of pictures and stuff. It's a lot of fun. Look what's coming up. Coco Fest. <laughs> Taking lots of time. <laughs> There's my truck that got stolen, recovered. And then they uh, they went ahead and um, totaled it out. So Monday I'm going to find out what I'm going to get for it. So we will see. Any guys? You guys not enough to buy a new car. No. Yeah, but you won't have to put up with it. No. Back in the day, I, I used ADOS and made my own DOS and put my own words on it back in 85. And uh, I used uh, this emulator on my... Uh, I think it was Windows 98 at the time. And uh, it ran pretty good. You guys remember seeing that? Some of you? No? Yes? No? The the website's, the website's still up. You can still get even the Coco 3 uh, emulators from there. That was then, like uh, the first hmm? one? Yeah. It was. And um, <clears throat> someone wrote this for uh, the um, Commodore, but I put the co color computer too in it. It says, uh, it'll be 45 years past the end of the apocalypse, and a lone person will be trawling the wasteland and coming up upon a house. And while looking for food stores, we'll find a color computer in the closet in perfect working condition. And it was Thomas Cherry Holmes that did it. <laughs> I put uh, Coco instead in a nice, fresh-looking picture. They had a motherboard with, uh, like, a rat's nest in it. <laughs> Except that in a, uh, in a Holocaust, there probably is no power. No, probably not. Do you guys ever see this? Uh, from uh, Paul Fiscarelli. This is pretty awesome. <clears throat> it's big. Oh, yeah. Look at all that stuff. He worked hard on this thing, I'll bet. Well, the the picture already came from, uh, from yeah, but uh, you got to figure he had to he had to play with it. Yeah, he made a he made a version on the Coco, sure, or made it run or whatever. Yeah, it'd be good it. if he did. It'd be good if he did the rest of the game too. Yeah, it would be great, but I guess it takes quite a bit of. Uh, I mean, you know what he did do was pretty cool. Yeah.
And it had music. Yeah, it does, sort of. <laughs> and the rest is X-rated. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Anyway, moving along. I faked this uh, <laughs> dragon fire on uh, the computer on the uh, Dodge Charger. <laughs> Looks like it could happen, right? <laughs> There's my truck on a, a high color um, picture. There's, uh, you know, one day we're going to have deskmate on eou wouldn't that be yeah. awesome yeah this is deskmate one though probably won't we'll pass that we'd up. have the newer version yeah yeah or the coco 3 version or whether yeah whatever mm -hmm. i mean there was a hacked up version that did that for a while i didn't have the icon there? really they are just for ron look it a donut yeah sprinkles Looks like you're doing it, doesn't it, Nick? Yeah, need to change the uh, number plate to say Donut Dilemma as well. Yeah, well, they blacked it out. They blacked it out, yeah. They were embarrassed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's about it, guys. Um, you know, I just do a whole bunch of stuff on here and post Ooh. it. And here, here's something from uh, Simon. Another donut. <clears throat> yeah. Isn't that cool? <laughs> On a Coca One. That's not a donut. It's a toroid. Pretty amazing. A toroid. Hey, my mother's calling me. <laughs> okay, so that's it, guys. Okay. Okay. I'm done. I did all I could to stretch the time. And is he back? No. No. He's he's, he's gone. Man. I think news is done for this. I, re I reckon he's got. The, he's had a power cut. And the only reason it was on for a short time is he's probably got a UPS. But the UPS has died too, I bet. So Mark's back with us. Curtis's Zoom crashed as well, so uh, maybe you both didn't download the update in time? Uh, I was thinking West Coast crash. Must be but, something. But you know, Ken's over the West Coast too, so. You know, okay, he said so Yeah, but Vancouver's a place all upon itself. <laughs> That's what they like to believe. Maybe he's not really rough. either coast. <laughs> Maybe he's having a rough time with money and he just hasn't paid his bill or something. <laughs> but maybe the Canadian internet went away, but Ken's here, so that doesn't. Yeah, I, don't know, I, could, I could I could see that uh, his internet was kind of dropping out for for a little while there, and then, and then it went away. It just kept getting worse and worse. Well, maybe um, instead of a mouse in the cage, you should get a kitty cat. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> in Canada, we use squirrels. Thank you very much. Oh, Zoom account password Curtis needs, which he doesn't even have. Yeah, I was going to say, he, he, he asked that a while back and I provided it. So he should have. No, it. this is his Zoom account that he can't get into, I think. Yeah. So, so in the chat, uh, Curtis uh, is saying that Zoom has gone stupid and uh, has totally forgotten all of his accounts and. <laughs> He's having to figure out his password again. 
So somebody, yeah. somebody, go ahead and tell him the passwords here on the on the show. Well, that won't help. He's got to get into Zoom first. <laughs> password is. And honestly, I can't even get Zoom client to remember my password. So that must be something with Zoom. Sure, it's not. I don't know. Dr. I Pepper. didn't have any issues. Well, but then has, again, I always update. He has an apple though, so. <laughs> I had a cookie, but no, he doesn't. So. Well, hey, we've been at this for three hours. Do we want yeah, to? Uh, yeah, we could do it. Call it a day. Yeah, he can pick up the rest of it next week, right? Uh -huh. delay it all, yeah, delay it for next week. I could just show you a few screenshots of my possible okay. oh, update yeah. to Neutroid, which um, is uh, well, I might do it. I don't know. I was just fiddling around and uh, just doodling on my. Um, oh, now you're my, playing uh, with us. I was just yeah, just, <laughs> and it's better to talk about that while Curtis isn't here. Is this the woman? Yeah, the squirrel? that's right. <laughs> so I'll I'll just share um the, the screenshot. Is that coming through? Mm -hmm. Yep, it yep. is. Yep. So it's just a a, a drawing and like a a mock-up. So the uh, it's it's my old Neutroid game, but. I think I mentioned last time or last week or whatever it was that Neutroid on the color computer that I did wasn't really a direct copy of the original Model 1 version of uh, Neutroid that I did. I, I changed it a bit because at the time I wasn't sure how to do certain things on the, on the Coco. Neutroid was my first machine code game on the, on the Coco, so I was still... I Very came much. back to hear you yammering on about Neutroid again. Oh, okay. <laughs> there we are. Right in there. And that's why Nitrous Nine is there. Was the worst worst we should have ended the system. show while we had the chance. <laughs> Great timing. <laughs> yeah, it, it was something went wacky with Zoom. Zoom crashed on me. It, I, Mark mentioned I saw on, on there because everything else was still running. Um, and then it, when I went to go back in, normally I just type in the meeting name and then the meeting password. And this time I was asking for login credentials and everything else here. It wouldn't even let me into Zoom. So. I first tried yeah, rebooting my machine because sometimes, you know, just things get screwed up, but that didn't make any difference. So I had to go look it all up and finally found it. And here you I am. probably did an update while you were using it. And then it just said, yep, install, bang. No, he's been hacked. <laughs> really, Curtis. Those darn apples. <laughs> just but then they come back great. for this. I mean, geez. <laughs> all That's right. right. Well, did you, here. Did you notice the viewership uh, just spiked? As soon as Curtis left, the viewership <laughs> just shut up. <laughs> well, it was well, around the garage, you know. Oh, yeah, well, Mark, been Mark that woke too. up well, as soon as Curtis left. Yeah, I missed the garage part entirely. I have no idea what Ron talked about. <laughs> you didn't miss nothing. Well, yeah, you can go I back to your I... silly game. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just finish off what I was saying. Uh, Nitrous is nine is terrible. Don't you? No, <laughs> terribly good. That. You were almost right. That's not quite. <laughs> so where was I? <laughs> yeah. So the original Neutroid is different to what the Coco version ended up being, which is why I, I called it Neutroid Two because it was different to the, the original Neutroid. <laughs> but then I thought, well, the original Neutroid idea was a I thought was a better idea. And maybe it would even shut people up like uh, Curtis. But anything um, could be better. Yeah. So, so this is my mock-up, which brings it more in line with the original Model One version, um, whereby, uh, well, for starters, the um, 
the particles move all around the outer edge of the screen, not just across the top and bottom. The way the um, the Neutroid is navigated is uh, is a bit more like the original, whereby the grid, you can't see it on a static picture, but whenever you press up, down, left and right, those blue, the, the blue grid changes shape so that it's much clearer as to how the Neutroid, which is the white dot, is deflected. Um, so, and, and basically that's all it is. It's just changing the uh, dynamics of the game. I've got a few other ideas to add in there as well, just to add to the game. Uh, but I, I reckon uh, it was the better version of the Neutroid. So I just thought as a project in between a major, because pro- I've got another idea I'm, I'm, I'm working on as well as my main project, and I thought this will be a sub-project. Uh, so it was just an idea just to shut Curtis up. <laughs> so the takeaway is this is the game it should have been originally. This is the game it should have been if it was yeah, so now, like now it'll original. actually be a game. I, I want my money back for the first one. <laughs> I mean, Me too. Yeah, the, the, the money back in, in 80, 80, 80s dollar. 80s Australian dollars. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you 20 yeah. cents. <laughs> Thank you. I'll feel so much better. Yeah. <laughs> Don't spend it all at once. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, we can go back to our usual. I'll just shut down my share. So that was a uh, a tactic to delay until uh, Curtis comes back. Yeah, you were hoping I never came back here to diss on neutral. Well, there so. was. The, the thought did cross our mind. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know what the hell happened to Zoom here. Like Mark, you you basically had the same symptoms I did. Yep. Someone's PC died. Sitting under my, a table. Oh, my machine was running. I could still type in Discord. I tried rebooting just when I found Zoom. No, not my you. Login, Zoom. But... Some someone's PC died. Yeah. <laughs> Knocked down the whole server. Have you lost all your um, shortcuts to your news items? No, actually, I, I have a Mac. It just brought those up automatically when I rebooted. Oh, here we so. go. <laughs> Mac. <laughs> no, no problem there. It even had you know the exact ones I had open still. So, so you're trying to say that Mac is so slow, even during a crash, it doesn't get to clear things in time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it asked me, you know, do you want to restore these windows where they were left off? And I said yes, and you're there. Oh, thanks for reminding me, Curtis. I need to go update uh, Notepad plus plus since there is an update. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, as I was before, I was so rudely interrupted by Zoom being an idiot. Um, th- there's a, a couple of videos that this guy put up about uh, the William Tell Overture. Now, it's a rather famous program in the Cocoa world because it was part of the winning entry of the Color Computer News programming contest. And one of the four categories they had back in '82, I think it was, was the best rendition of the William Tell Overture. And I remember this one quite well because I helped type the stupid thing in. It's a whole bunch of semi-language hex data statements, 11 pages worth in small print. It was terrible. (laughs) Our club actually shared it. Everybody got a page and we typed it in. Our version, you can hear a couple of glitches that aren't in the final one. Anyway, he did two versions over here. So the first one, um, I might have got cut off when this was happening. But basically, it's an oscilloscope that's actually tied to each voice. And you can see each voice as it's playing. Now, the problem is this particular one, I don't know what exactly he was running it on, but it runs a little slow. It's a little bit off pitch. It seems to be a lower pitch, and there's some definite notes that are bad in it. So it doesn't sound as good as it should. 
So I'll play a little bit. You can just kind of see the oscilloscope effect. It's kind of cool. We can watch like the different voices come in. Is this on a Coco? Supposedly, yeah. Okay. We can even see like the bottom one, the, that note kicked out while the other three kept playing. Which is something subtle enough I wouldn't really notice. But you can hear it's it's not quite right. And you can see the waveform stretching as the pitch changes and stuff too. Anyway, I won't play the whole thing here. Now he did an, a re, another recording of it without the oscilloscope this time, with this using um, XROR. Uh, this would be a great song to play in the audio analyzer. You know, one Coco to another. Yeah, and this is the way I remember hearing it. In fact, I played it on my own machine here literally a week or two ago because I hadn't heard it in a while. And this is the short version of it, the 16K version. Um, there's a longer one. Like, this one's about four and a half, five minutes. And there's a longer extended version, which plays more of the full wind television, which is like nine and a half minutes long. So if you guys are into the classical music and, of course, Wim Telvisor is famous for being the Lone Ranger theme song. And this sounds great on their stereo hooked in here, Coco. Yes. Mm-hmm. In fact, if I remember, doesn't the Orchestra 90 for the Coco come in with a version of William Tell, a shortened version of it, as the built-in demo? It does. Yeah, yeah. That's the demo. And this is after, like, the original four-voice music, uh, the composer, which came out in 82, has a bit of a rougher edge to the music. This is when they started figuring out the better waveforms to get a smoother note. I'll shut up for the Lone Ranger part. I'm not going to play the whole thing here, but <laughs> I might think it may be. I bring up the nine and a half minute version, just let it rip. It is by an Italian. <laughs> but it's 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 the first smooth voice. Uh, that's what I call it. It's It just sounds smooth. Like the older um, composer ones, like the old Country Roads, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, which was the demo one they included with the composer. They sounded a bit more rough edged. There was a bit of a crackliness to it because they hadn't quite figured out the way from that. Got the four voices working fine. And this is when they kind of smooth out. This became the standard that most four voice engines on the Coco use is this type. So if you're listening like Donkey King or Sea Dragon or any of the other grabber, this is the type of routines they use. So I'm not sure what happened on the oscilloscope one because it is definitely off. It's it's pitched down. It's it's some of the notes are actually flat or sharp. Well, I'm you not can sure see what happened. It, it was overdriven, so the bottom of the note kind of bounced up again. It didn't go all the way down to the bottom. There was something really wrong. Where was using that apple? <laughs> Even the emulators play it fine on mine, uh, my Apple or my Coco next, which is right next to me at the moment. So, yeah, I, I used to use the audio analyzer, you know, and have another Coco play it in, and it, you know, see a nice spectrum. Oh, to see what comes out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Coco Three is capable of much more because we actually have a timing interrupt that you can actually time things properly with, but. Uh, this this was the standard uh, Coco you know multi voice stuff that we started getting around eighty two I think is when the games finally started to use it. 
I mean, we had a little bit before that, I guess, like the music cartridge from Tandy, I think, did two voices. And that was, you know, 1980, 81. So that had a little bit, but... Uh, but, yeah, the real question was, how far can it push into treble? And that's where the spectrum analyzer Ron was talking about comes in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're getting up into 8, 10K here. Sounds pretty yeah. good. You, you can hear it, though. When you start pushing that high of a note, especially with multi-voice, you can start hearing the... It's starting to lose it. It's not keeping it smooth anymore. You know, in the in the old days when uh, computers started doing music, people were uh, put off by the fact that you know the computer is perfectly timed. You know, and um, I guess humans when they they do music, they don't yeah know we kind of time dynamically change it a little bit yeah. depending on our mood that day. And they used to uh, complain that you know it's too. Uh, I, 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 I got news for you, Ron. That complaint has come back full circle and it's happening a lot right now because of auto-tune. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're auto-tuning people's voices, right. so everything's perfect. Perfectly timed, right. perfectly pitched, and it's lost the humanity. It doesn't have the emotional edge a raw live performance it, would have. And a lot of musicians are complaining. It may have started with, like, the ZZ Top uh, CD releases. They took all their vinyl, released it on CD. They replaced the drummer with a Sensonics drum machine, as far as I can tell. So all the beats were right perfectly in time, and Frank Beard was never in time. So it was a completely but, different song. But now <laughs> AI is going to fill that in, right? Oh, and be out of time again, syncopate yeah, a little bit? AI is going to put a little bit of, you know, whoops, we missed that beat, no big deal, we'll fix Likely it. Likely it'll start playing a different song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. There's a comment from the chat here from Tom Eric Anderson in Europe uh, playing on a 50 megahertz Coco, maybe. Now, I'm, I'm trying to remember those routines. I don't like the actual playing part. I don't I think it was just hard coded because I had to try to keep it four voices at once. You know, like you said, at higher pitches, which means you're jamming stuff to the PIA quite fast. It might have used the routine to change the voices in the background, maybe on the RQ. Um, I'm not sure about that. Nick, on your multi-voice routines... Well, mind you, lately you've been cheating and using the, the vertical sync on the last couple of games, but purposely overflowing one entire interrupt so that you can get 51% CPU time for the music and 49% for the rest of the game. But are your early ones, did you do any four voice? You know, late breaking news, Nick actually has a camera. Yeah, we get to see his shelves. <laughs> I don't think he's at his keyboard, though. <laughs> I, I am now. Hang on. <laughs> I just, I, <laughs> now, none of you on the, watching the stream probably got to see that unless you saw it in the corner there. But uh, as soon as Nick heard that his camera is on, he shut it back off. <laughs> no, I just came back from the kitchen. I thought I'll quickly get some uh, breakfast in. <laughs> I just. <laughs> so, did you hear um, my question? Yes, yeah, something about the music routines. I got the speaker playing. Um, so, I w yeah, you want to know what, what I, I was did. wondering, did you use interrupts prior to using the H-Sync over the over no, uh, blown no. H-Sync? You just did hard-coded things, right? I just did, um, yeah, hard-coded. Which I think little, most people did. That's right, yeah. Because um, before I knew about the fact that you could uh, skip an interrupt to get a lower, um, to CPU lower the overhead. horizontal, yeah, um, I thought, yeah, well, it's going to be too... Using a V-Sync is too low uh, for generating the sound. Using the H-Sync was too high. It was yep. just not, not the best. So I did my own code. 
Yeah, that's where we've had the discussion. Like if, if Tandy had designed it so that the H sync, the really fast 15,000 or 50 times per second interrupt, would have been tied to FIRQ instead of the stupid cartridge port, cartridge detect. Why did Tandy do that? Like, and why do you waste the fast interrupt to see if somebody plugged a cartridge in? It's not like you're going to be doing it 15,000 times per second. Nah. But yeah, it was, a, it was a bad design choice. And I wish the Dragon had kind of fixed that because they could have done some amazing stuff with you know, music with an FIRQ routine where you could keep up and you're not blowing so many CPU cycles servicing the interrupt itself. So, oh well. Oh well. Anyway, next up, and it looks like it, it it launched the pages but didn't load them yet, so I'll probably have a bit of a delay each one. Uh, MC10. So Robert Sieg, we talked about this last week. He's been doing these test maps for a game he's calling Pandemic, which actually started before the real pandemic hit. Um, this latest one here he's doing, and he's actually made a version of it. I'm not showing it here, but he's got a second version. He's uploaded a zip file because Facebook's compression algorithm is actually losing some of the detail. Uh, but basically what he's doing here is he's made 192 graphic tiles for this game, and then he actually created a map he kind of just threw together to show what the tiles kind of look like. And I won't zoom it up all the way here, but you can kind of get an idea here. We were looking at it last week and actually mentioning he had some pretty decent rivers and stuff that actually looked fairly natural. It didn't look as tile-based as it actually is. Um, but yeah, he's got quite a few tiles. He's got houses and lakes and plains and trees and all kinds of stuff here. So I'm really looking forward to this game. Um, especially for the MC10, it looks pretty pretty amazing. Next up, that's the MC10. David Mitchell um, posted a video showing a graphics demo that he ported to the MC10 from the Dragon called Whirlpool. And this is, uh, as you can see on the credits here, originally by Gifford in, in 1983. And it's kind of just a, a graphical effect of drawing lines at various angles and different colors in the set reset graphics, so 64 by 32. I noticed it's not doing solid lines. I don't know if that's on purpose. I know when I tried to write a missile command back in like 1982-ish in basic, I had the same problem <laughs> trying to figure out how to draw lines on the set reset because I didn't really understand, you know, what is it, the Brison, Brison, something, Bresenham line drawing uh, algorithms. So I had these little gaps like that too on certain axes. But yeah, he's ported a couple of little dragon games to the MC-10, so that's kind of cool. Well, if you stand back 50 feet, it looks like lines. <laughs> <laughs> After a couple of beer, it looks like yeah, solid lines, too. There so. you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, Dylan Teagan. I hope I'm pronouncing the last name right there. He posted MC10 port of the Columbia Shuttle basic program that uses draw statements and kind of scales depending on the machine you're on uh, that originally was done in MCX basic. And his version will actually even support P mode 4 on an MC10 if you've hardware modified your MC10 to be able to access the extra video RAM, MC10s as they're shipped and normally are will only access the first 4K. So you can only go up to like a P mode 2, I think. Can't do P mode 3 or 4. MCX Basic um, by Darren Atkinson actually does also support that, which is how he's supporting it with draw statements. So you can actually run a P mode 4 if your MC10 is modified. But to be realistic for the people, because most people don't have that mod, he actually put up a picture here from the emulator of what that actually looks like in P mode 2. Which is, I'm trying to remember the res of PMO2. That's 128 by 192 by 2, I think. Is that right? I think it's 3K. But actually, it doesn't look too bad. I mean, the, the details in the back are obviously a little bit lost here, but uh, not too shabby. 
Anyway, he's actually got the uh, picture and the code. You can actually download from the MC10 group on Facebook if you want to try it out on your actual MC10. And next one, this one, I, I was hoping there's some Dragon users in the audience here um, watching the stream because I really don't understand what I'm looking at here. It's a kaleidoscope program with some music playing in the background. I assume it's, you know, the standard thing where you've put some pre-recorded audio on the tape after the program type thing, and then you start playing it, do audio on, motor on, and it'll play through in kaleidoscope. Some description of it here. But it's talking about a flexi disc. And that's the part I'm not sure. Was this originally a flexi disc transferred to tape or what? Screens and screen stuff. And I'll have to cut this off because it's a commercial song. Anyway, I think a lot of us did this technique of you know, putting the motor on, audio on commands. You have like Van Halen or something playing in the background. And then you'd run Rockfest with the Van Halen logo and you'd have it you know, playing at the same time. But this Flexitas thing is kind of interesting to me because I did, when I was doing some research on the Dragon, I know, Ron, you you mentioned uh, that you remember the July 1983 second anniversary Rainbow. They actually gave you a Flexitask in Rainbow yes. with three programs on it. Yep. And I thought Rainbow was the first magazine to ever do, or computer magazine to ever do that. Nope, it wasn't. Not even close. Uh, in the UK, multiple magazines for multiple computers did this year, two years, three years before Rainbow did. But as far as I know, in North America, it might have been the first. So I don't know if this is part of that. That's why he says, talk to me, FlexiDisc slash mainframe. I don't really understand the context of this, and I'm hoping somebody in the chat might know more about this than I do. Well, that disc would play music then, you know, and uh, code. Yeah. I know the Rainbow ones just had three programs. It was just like a cassette rec recording, the cassette signal, basically. And then you'd put it on your record player, pumping the earphone jack into the cocoa and, you know, load programs without having to order Rainbow on tape. That was kind of suggesting that we do this for uh, Cocoa Fest in the future. You know, um, yeah, it just, it, I think we, actually what we should do, Ron, at this fest is take a survey. How many people still have record players to actually use this? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Because that's my big worry is that like you and two others will be the only and two. And the club will spend a ton of money a, trying to get these. <laughs> and how many still have a nickel to tape to the flexi disc to make it go with the around with the record player well actually do you know that, you had uh, to do that you had to tape a nickel oh, that's right yeah the little spot you had to put the quarter or whatever on to weigh it down otherwise right. it, we don't said, even have the coins anymore what are we gonna do they said uh lp albums have outsold uh cds in the last month or so right yep so somebody's yeah. got them well it's not that lps are doing good as those aren't flexi discs still run those are full-blown hard records though yeah well that's what i was talking about you can get seven inch records. Oh, okay. Made, you know, and actually have them in your Next, hand. we'll get the seven to eight RPM ones for the people with the really old equipment. <laughs> and you, if, if you can find something to turn it, you could you make a cone with a needle and you can hear it. Oh, right. Play the three mil groove into your microphone, <laughs> your cocoa. Now, Wayland in the chat is saying, looks like a Jeff Minter program. It's a floppy 45 single. So, floppy, I mean, I guess it means flexi disc, you know, the soft plastic yeah. you could bend all over. You bet it too much, you could never read it again. Um, Which would be way cheaper than duplicating a tape if you have a lot of additional, like, audio content. 
it would be a lot cheaper to just put it on a flexi disc and say, here, put all this on the tape and, and rock yeah. and roll. <laughs> I mean, it must have been expensive at the time because Rainbow never did it again, and nobody else ever did as far as I know. Well, my thought about it was uh, back in the day when we got our color computers in the early 80s, we everyone had uh, record players. Yes. Still. Yeah. So yeah. that was kind of the genre of the time. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of people had Norton Rainbow on tape or Rainbow Disc because it was expensive. And this is like a preview. If you are interested in Rainbow and Disc but don't know if it's worth it, here's three of the programs that appeared in the July 1983 magazine on a Flexi Disc, and you can actually just load it in and try it. But I, I thought it was a huge innovative thing, and it turns out, no, the people in the UK had been doing it for a couple of years already on the Spectrum, on the BBC Micro, on a bunch of machines. Like, it was almost commonplace at that point. <laughs> So that surprised me. I did not know that. Remember back in time when we tried to play a sound on the um, on our broadcast to see if we could load it in from our yeah, and it worked. <laughs> I, don't I know there were some other. Uh, was it PBS or one of the the smaller public stations actually did do some code that they yeah. sent over the radio that people would record and then play and load the programs in. I know Ham used to do that too. I understand the BBC did that too with their computer learning programs for like the BBC Acorn and they'd have a little, uh, it was a light pen and you'd have a little a thing in the corner and it would flash the program. You'd hold your pen up to it to record it. Yeah. Uh, Waylon added some other comments here. He said, uh, flatter than a cassette so it slips into the pages of the magazine. Absolutely true because that's where Rainbow put theirs. You didn't have to tape a package onto it or something. And he said, Jeff Minner did color space for the BBC Micro. So this apparently is a port from the BBC Micro to the Dragon. It's funny, the magazine was the perfect medium for a flexi disc because it had the hard spine, you know, stapled or folded, whatever, to keep it from breaking, bending. Yeah, we just bend a little bit up. with the pages, right? Yeah. And you could roll it up beyond that. <coughs> that was a perfect. That's why Mad Magazine used to send flexi discs with some of their, you know, great songs like It's Such a Sp Super Spectacular Day. That was even more different, though, because that one actually had seven endings. And depending on where the, the needle happened to hit a groove, you'd get a different ending of the song every time, which was cool. I played that thing to death. Now, the following year, I think when they did the third anniversary is when they did the Scratch and Sniff Adventure, though. That, I have not seen any other mention of that in other computer magazines. So that might have been a first, but I'm not positive. Hmm. The only problem with those, of course, is once you scratch them, the, the smell wears out, and then you play the adventure game Scratch Box number two to figure out what you just picked up, and you have no idea. Yeah, it smells like poop. Smells like paper now. <laughs> that would have been an interesting cassette player with a little scratcher to go on it. <laughs> but I remember that that game was actually fun because I, I recognized some of the smells right away. Like one was chocolate. Um, one was uh, pine needles. Burning hair. No, that's that's I, I wouldn't be able to tell that because that's just a, a common smell around here. That's the Elfridus <laughs> Boyle adventure series. Oh, <laughs> smells like dude. disappointment. <laughs> Smells like I gotta buy some more hardware again. <laughs> it's rhubarb, man. <laughs> anyway, uh, th thanks, Waylon, for kind of clarifying it up. So it looks like this is a port of a program that was done by Jeff Minders, quite famous, of course, for a variety of games. Um, but yeah, they, they have the UK definitely had the flexi discs way before Rainbow did. So that was a that was a surprise when I was doing that research. I had no idea because we normally kind of. In North America, we kind of view the both the Japanese and the uh, European markets as being a bit behind because the arcades started in the States, right? So all the arcade machines came out there first. I mean, Japan started catching up by the early 80s type thing, but 
you kind of think, oh, their whole computer industry was behind it. Actually, no, in some ways they weren't. <laughs> some, some ways they were ahead. Anyway, that's it for the news. I almost was done before that whole weird Zoom thing happened. That's first time ever, isn't it, for you? No. No? It happened before? No, I had my entire, I had the power go out a couple times. Ooh. Which means, you know, I have a battery backup on the computer, but that doesn't keep the no. the Wi-Fi downstairs running or anything. Or the Wi-Fi down the block. <laughs> Lean into your screen so you have light. <laughs> So what did I miss on Ron's Garage? Just a quick recap. Oh, there just there. yeah, anything you could see if you went there. I, I played Paul Fiscarelli's uh, um, Prince of Persia demo thing. He did. Oh, okay, yeah, that's and a then, cool one. And then he um, he sent me a picture of the new astronauts that are going to go to the moon. Yeah, that he did. We'll go around the moon. They're not going yeah. on the moon. But. Well, they're going to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah anyway, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. So I told him. I told him. Uh, uh, you should see. I, I played your. You know. Prince of Persia, and he goes, uh, uh, I just started watching, so I'm an hour and a half behind or so. <laughs> I said, okay. Well, as soon as uh, uh, Curtis goes off the air, it's it's about then. <laughs> it's <said>, okay. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, Nick, you were just kind of explaining your your new Detroit. Now, are you going to add the directional things, too, like your original Model 1 had that kind of gave you a hint what direction the thing was going to move? I see you're kind of quartered, quartered he's, in there. Or did he shut both his camera and his mic off now? Yeah, he's sleeping. He's mad. So listen, um, well, it's breakfast. I have time. to go. I have to go. I got to take care of my mom. So okay. Oh well, I think we're pretty well done anyway. Yeah. Um, All right. Ready for an outro? I think so. One week. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation Show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Uh, just a quick reminder, Coco Fest is two weeks away. Two, count them two. Two weeks. Two. So start the pilgrimages. Everybody here except for Nick. He can't swim that fast. We're going to be there. <laughs> back. Is that true? Everybody in the panel is actually going to be there except Nick? Yeah, like you're unfortunately. Right. Yeah, unfortunately. I'll be there. Dave, David Ladd's going to be there. See, that's the punishment, Nick, for making another friggin' Neutroid game. <laughs> what, the David Ladd's coming to Coco Fest? <laughs> hey, now. Ooh, there he is. Don't worry, Nick. Once you release the new version. Okay, what I miss? I'll make sure they have to play it. <laughs> can you hear me? Flippy. Yeah, we can hear yep. you.
Yeah, yeah you didn't miss like anything. A, we're just wrapping up here. I was giving me the shit, so I had to go to the toilet. Language. So what you Press missed the your, button. <laughs> what you missed was your commitment that you're going to be at Coco Fest. Great. So In spirit. We'll see you there. All righty. Bye. See you all next week. Bye, Bye everybody. Bye, everybody. Two weeks. <laughs>